Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. A couple of days after April Fools, a couple of fools gather to ring in April. Yes, Graham McMillan and I are here to talk about movies The Eternals, Benedetta, Shang-Chi, and The Legend of the Ten Rings, and of course Videodrome, while also gabbing about the recent news about DCUI, recent newsletters from Grant Morrison and Tom King, and also discuss The War for Earth 3, reading manga as simul-pub releases, and much, much more in this two-and-a-half our episode ode 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 we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com and we invite you to look out for us on twitter tumblr instagram and patreon as always we hope you enjoy and thank you for listening jeff lester graham mcmillan hello jeff let me tell you about some new trends that i've accidentally started and i wish i hadn't <laughs> i remember uh, the last time we did a wait while when Chloe was guesting, mm-hmm. I was talking about how I had indigestion because I'd just eaten, like, rushed through uh, food from the, the uh, chip shop around the corner, right? Yes. I, again, have indigestion from rushing my dinner in order to make the podcast. Oh, no. I to myself, why don't I just eat earlier? That's a good question. Yeah. And yet, it's not a question we're going to answer tonight. We're not? What I... I I hasten to disagree. I say we do. What's going What's going on? Are we starting too early? It should be no. It's literally it's literally uh, the last couple of times we've recorded. Because I mean, other times this has never been a problem. It's literally just been the last couple of times we've recorded. Like timing has not worked out. Mm, okay. I mean, it has worked out. I'm here. True, but true, also but like yes. I I rushed dinner and then. Uh, I'm sorry it. to hear that. Yeah, so I'm just going. To, I'm just going to like sit back here and be quiet and you know, have the have the regret of someone who seemed like Morbius or something. <laughs> oh my! Well, I'm so glad you brought up Morbius because although I did not see it, and I was going to say, please tell me you didn't. No, no, I would. I don't think. I mean, that's one of those like. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that's, the circumstances. That's one of those you wait until it's on, like, you know, I was going to say Netflix, but not even that. Like, it's, you you wait until Disney Plus has really scraped the bottom of the barrel and started it's, adding exactly. stuff like that. Right, exactly. Until it hits, like, 2B or something. Um, I uh, So a year then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is part of me, people... Listeners of the podcast, long-term listeners may remember I went through a period where I read a shit ton of Morbius. And, and you say a period? I feel that wasn't that long ago. It probably wasn't. I mean, I have to say my timing, sense of time is um, just demolished. It is it is utterly destroyed. I I had a thing today. We did we did a lot of cleaning up because we're we're going to be getting uh, we're going to be having a house guest. Edie's sister is is coming for a very brief visit. And it was overdue for me to do some cleaning stuff around uh I'll say anyway. that house has been a mess. I know, right? Well, you know, Graham. It's we we can't it's, we we have we have far fewer helping hands than you do. Um <laughs> fewer children too. But that you mean animals. <laughs> yes. It's true. Uh so uh, yeah, and uh in the course of basically going through 
And and finally, like, because my file cabinet was just full to bursting. It's like, this is stupid. I can shred most of this stuff. And it was that classic thing of like, oh, I got to get the shredder. Oh, but we need oil for it. Oh, but now we need this. And oh, now Jeff's just going to ignore the shredder like, you know, he owes it 20 bucks or something. Finally, all the stars moved into alignment. I had 20 bucks that I shredded for it. <laughs> and then I went shredding my old documents. And there, and what was amazing was looking at stuff and being like, stuff that I could have sworn was maybe two years ago was like five years ago. Stuff that I thought was five years ago was like 12 years ago. Things that I thought were like 12 years ago were like 1993. So it, it's, I, and, and so I have no sense of time, like. It is, I feel like the Morbius read-through was relatively recent, like around this time, if not last year, maybe the, the year before, but it, it could well have been five years ago. I mean, you're, like, you're like, it could have been yesterday. I don't know. See, I, I've actually got the opposite problem in that I think that things were a long time ago and they were like, you know, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and what? No, no. And don't get me wrong. It's total. I have that, too. It's that whole weird looking glass thing where everything's upside down or, you know, like looking through the wrong end of the binoculars. Everything that should be closed feels far away. Everything that happened a million years ago. Um, I'm just like, wait, that's recent. Right. You know, kind of like when we're like, you know, again, the pandemic has really accelerated that. My point being, Morbius is a whiny punk and arguably one of the worst, if not the absolute worst character to come out of out of Marvel, um, sort of post-Stanley, you know, during my beloved Bronze Age, if you will. Wait, and... isn't, isn't Morbius created by Stanley? I did Morbius say... not... Or did he... Yeah, Roy I, Thomas. Because he's right around the crossover, right? But mm-hmm. I can't remember if he, if he is before the crossover. I guess he's after, because the... the... That's the the eight legs, the eight arms rather. Yeah. That is Stanley's end and then Morbius comes around when he's trying to cure that? Yeah, exactly. It, during okay. the course of that cure. So that's during the, the very short lived Roy Thomas like Gil Kane era before Thomas hands off the reins to Jerry Conway. Um so very very brief period. But my understanding, post Stanley No, you're right, I've just looked it up. Roy Thomas and Gil Kane. Yeah. So, but I, I, but I couldn't, I wanted to say the seventies, but then I realized I wasn't sure if that was actually 71. Oh, there we go. Okay. So I was not sure anyway. So yes, thank you for allowing me to hone in. He is, he is quite likely the worst character to come out of my beloved Marvel's seventies era and, <laughs> and reading his stuff as collected in various trades and the various super cheap digital stuff that I picked up for a pittance. Um, It's yeah, uh, just, just a terrible, terrible punk of a character, which is great because in that case, Jared Leto is perfectly cast. Um, The kids seem to love that film. If by love, I mean, absolutely hates and are making fun of mercilessly. Uh, But the plus that is, I haven't, I've yet to see anyone defend it. Like it seems to have actually united everyone. In that everyone seems to think this film's the worst. Well, yeah, except uh, it's doing okay in the box office, isn't it? Didn't it have like a surprisingly high turnout? Let me look. Let's see, shall we? Uh, it is eyeing a forty million dollar opening, so it's going to be the number one film of the weekend. But that's not a great opening. 
Well, dude, come on. Like, post-pandemic, nobody knows what a good opening is anymore. $40 yeah, million I, is actually considered probably pretty good see. in post-pandemic times. Let's see. Um, is it? I think so. I think so. Okay, I'm going to look, I'm going to compare it to Uncharted. Oh Jesus! Uh, Uncharted, it... Uncharted, which A is going to make more money, uh, roughly, and also is the third most successful film of the year so far. Wow! And you know what? No one's called it Uncharted until now. Uh, it's well, put it this way: if it makes forty million, it's made more money than the Scream sequel. See. And the Scream sequel was considered like a big fiscal success. They've actually, um, didn't they? I thought they uh, greenlit a sequel to it. Scream 6? Mm-hmm. Scream 7, maybe? If <laughs> I've actually lost track. Who knows? I mean, seriously, I think that's it's, I think it's Scream. I think that would make a Scream 6. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I've seen all of them. And also, I like all the Scream movies. Yes, yes. I, I, I know. I have to admit, I have only seen, I want to say the first three. Wasn't crazy about the third the first and second, in some ways, I almost like the second more than the first. Um, but I'd kind of like, I admit it, I would like to see this most recent one. And if you have it, it's Peacock, maybe? Uh, oh, right. Yeah. It's on something for free, because that's how I saw it. Ah, well, yeah. Maybe Probably Paramount Peacock. Plus, because Paramount yeah, Plus is doing, is, try, is oh, trying yeah. to no, do a little right. HBO Max. Paramount Plus. You're totally mm-hmm. right. It's Paramount Plus is on. Yeah. Anyway, but, Morbius, I, I, are you I, looking? Yeah, you're still comparing? Yes. Okay, so the opening weekend of Spider-Man No Way Home. Okay, that's an unfair comparison, but sure, hit me with it. So, Morbius is expected to make $40 million. Yeah. What do you think the opening weekend of Spider-Man was? Like, $87? $260 million. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wait a minute, but that's worldwide. Is Morbius, is that $40 no, no, million no, 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 I, I think goes? that's just national. No. Yeah, I think it is. Holy shit. Uh, opening of Batman is $134 million. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I mean, not great. You're right. There have obviously been bigger openings. But $40 million, I think, is considered respectable these days. I mean, it's yeah, – it's, it's, I wonder what it's – yeah, I mean, it'll be fine. They're not going to lose money on it. Put it that way. Yeah. They'll probably figure out a way to do a sequel. God help I I, I did – I was thrilled to see uh, – God, I can't remember who did it. Screen Rant, maybe? Someone did uh, a post about how the post-credit sequence <laughs> uh, in Morbius is the worst post-credit sequence ever. Oh my god, what what is have, the post-credit ha- Well, have you heard about this? Or no, no, no I, I knew there was one. Do you mind if I do spoilers for Morbius, everyone? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Good, everyone, if okay. you do, I'll put it in the notes. So, you may have seen the trailers for Morbius. And in the trailers for Morbius, uh, Michael Keaton's in there playing Vulture. From Spider-Man. Oh, right. Right, right. Right? right. Mm-hmm. Turns out in the finished film, he doesn't show up until the post credit sequence. That's great. That's all. And then when he does, it's not any of the scenes from the trailer. Hmm. There are two post credit sequences. The first one is uh, Michael Keaton magically teleports into a, into a jail cell. Mm-hmm. And is then like, huh, well guess this is going to work out for me better than the last place did. End of post-credit sequence. Hmm. And then the second one is uh, Morbius is driving somewhere in like his Morbius mobile, I guess. Hold and, on. Uh, Hold on. No, it's, I, I'm now seeing this in the theater. It's Wait. just a car chip. I'm, oh. just call, I'm just calling it the Morbius mobile. Damn you. 
Um, but he's driving somewhere, and then he pulls over to the side of the road because the vulture flies up to him, and it's like, I'm here because of Spider-Man. And they're like, okay, let's team up. That's it. Oh. Okay. And so it's it's being described as the worst post-credit sequences ever for two reasons. One of which I wouldn't have thought about until I read this article. Number one, Michael Keaton in the rest of the film. Right. So to have two post-credit sequences featuring a character who is not in the film at all otherwise is admittedly kind of ridiculous. Eh. The second thing was, and I, again, would not have thought about this, is what they're actually doing is bringing uh, Vulture into the Venomverse. Yeah. Because Venom and Morbius aren't in the same universe as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But Vulture it was in MCU. Right. And now he magically teleports to the Venomverse. Mm-hmm. More, apparently they imply it's it's because of the end of the last Spider-Man film, which apparently makes no sense mm. because there was no reason for him to be teleported there mm-hmm. other than we made that film and we can't use him anymore, so let's just bring him into a universe where we can use him. And that's it. I don't think that's the only reason, mind you. Well, I mean, but... they're, they're, he's going to be, like, they're inevitably going to finally make that Secret uh, Sinister Six film. Exactly. Yeah, I think that I think that's what we're kind of looking at is that Sinister Six movie. So, I mean, you know, the uh, way back when with the you know the Sony email leaks way back when, back when I guess Sony pissed off uh, Korea, uh, North Korea, I think yeah, with the interview, with the, and then they yeah, with the interview, yeah. hacked them and then and then dropped all that stuff, and it was really impressive to see how uh, amazingly illiterate so many of the people in. Um, in Hollywood are. <laughs> Hollywood really are, uh, particularly with the texting. But um, uh, Amy Pascal, I think that's her, who's heading up the the, the Sony side of the Spider-Verse or whatever. Yes, at, at the time she was in charge of Sony and then she quit to basically be a producer of the Spider-Man movies. Okay, so she's still doing the, like... Yeah, yeah, they, she's still there. Yeah, they had, a, they, had a lot of, they had a lot of stuff going on. There was that whole... I don't know if it was going to be Morbius, but remember there was there was some Savage Land movie that I can't remember if it was. Uh, the various films there. they've had in things because at one point Drew Goddard was doing Sinister Six, exactly, and right. then that like ran aground. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Black Cat and Silver Sable team up film, right? That ran aground. Mm-hmm. There is still a Craven the Hunter film being made. That's right. And there's still a Madam X movie that is being casted and made. Uh, no, you mean Madam Web? Sorry, yeah, right, exactly. Yes, there's a Madam Web film that they're making. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of a mess. <laughs> well, it's kind of a mess, but, but, but it's... They're, you know, they're determined to build it out, so... Yeah, you know. well, I, I mean, after the success of Venom, like, talk about such a long shot paying off for them. You know, it, but it also sort of allowed them this kind of leeway because they were like, you know, I, I, back back when they were worried, as I recall, and I could be wrong, back when they were worried about losing the Spider-Man rights back, you know, having them lapse back to Marvel, the workaround that they were going to do was make movies about the Spider-Man supported characters or other Spider-Man characters that were included in the deal, which is how sort of Venom came about. Now, of course, they're working in tighter tandem with Marvel, so 
I mean, it would not surprise me if the Sinister Six thing actually does end up being an an actual MCU slash Sonyverse joint. I think, but you know, we'll, we'll see. What that happens. would be amazing. <laughs> I would be, I would be very amused if that was the case. Mm-hmm. If they were like, "Yep, we're we're bringing everyone back together again," so that this time you could see Morbius in the MCU. Well. I mean, honestly, everyone wants Venom in the MCU, and frankly, everyone else they jumble in there, they're like, sure, fine, whatever. We don't. Really um, well, don't and you saw you saw Venom too, right? Or maybe didn't. I, I still have not, no. Uh, so the end of Venom 2, so the end of the Spider Man movie, mm-hmm. has a post credit sequence, which is. Uh, no, wait, sorry, I've got this backwards. The end of Venom 2 is Venom teleporting into MCU. Mm-hmm. Because of of Spider, like the Spider Man movie, mm-hmm. like somehow again, the logic doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Because according to the Spider Man movie, it's only people who knew Spider Man's secret identity that get pulled into MCU. Mm. But Venom comes from the the universe where Spider Man doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. So why? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. But sure. But the gimmick is. Oh, gets... I've got it. Sorry. Oh. Okay. So the Eddie Brock Venom played by what's his dingle Topher from that seventy show from Topher yeah. Grace knows that Peter Parker's Spider Man, so he gets pulled into the MCU, and then the alternate then universe Venom, Venom gets, gets pulled in. Yeah, exactly. I win! I win! I win the I, internet, Graham! I, I, I win the internet! I'm I've been waiting for decades. For sure. <laughs> There's nothing better than when you do the sure. Like, you are... You are well, the... no, okay. To follow that logic through. Yeah. Why doesn't every alternate reality version of Eddie Brock thing get pulled through? Or every alternate version of, I don't know, the Green Goblin? Or... Or Sandman, or like uh, Doctor Octopus, because <laughs> because for that, for that because matter, the Venom, matter, yeah. the, the Topher Grace version doesn't get pulled through that we know of. We haven't seen him yet. Well, where I was leading with this was the end of the Spider-Man movie. Um, they go back, but they've left behind part of the Venom goo in the MCU, so mm-hmm. the MCU can have its own Venom. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. <laughs> anyway, Graham. So the point being, wait. So, so which one? So you're spoiling which? I don't even know how many movies post credit sequences you've spoiled. You oh, spoiled... I I've just spoiled. I spoiled Venom two, Spider Man three, and, and Morbius. Sorry, and Mor- Morbius one. Well, thank you. Okay, well that's great. I appreciate it. Um... Uh, and if I can spoil any more post credit sequences, well, um, I, I, I am... episode four of Moon Knight. Do you want me to spoil Moon Knight up to episode four? No, thank you. But I am <laughs> looking forward to spoiling the Eternals. So head okay, up to everyone. yes. Wait. Yeah. When I last spoke to you. Mm-hmm. Which was uh, after the last time we recorded. Wait, well, you were literally about to watch Shang Chi. I yes. don't know if you did, but you've definitely watched The Eternals because you tweeted about it. Yeah. Before we get into either of those films, have you seen West Side Story yet? No. You haven't, have you? No. Of course no, you I haven't. haven't. No, no, I have not. Instead, I have not. You Eternals. Okay. 
so two, th- two or three things in my defense. One, uh, West Side Story is on HBO Max, and so yes, yes. we'll have access to it for far longer than we will have access to the one month at the three dollar rate that that we got Disney Plus at. Sure. So, in theory, stuff that would be Star Wars or or MCU related stuff that I will lose access to once we lose access Come, to comes Plus. first. Should yeah, in theory. So we saw Shang-Chi. We both liked it. It was actually a it's, lot of it's fun. It's fun, right? Yeah, it's a really fun movie. It's it's really smart. Um yeah, I I really S- Simi Liu it. is also charming as shit. Like he's he's a fun character. Uh, uh yeah. Yeah, for whatever reason, despite me not liking him for whatever reason, yeah. I I think so. And, and uh, it's, he's sorry, on you. Yes. I was going to say like I there there's various things that I like in the Shang Chi movie. It's sort of it's very well cast. I know a lot of people who are tired of Aquafina, but I myself am not that person. And I very much liked her slacker relationship uh, with with Shang Chi, which felt lifted from other uh, Asian sort of semi rom coms that I enjoyed. Got very strong, always be my maybe vibe off of it. You know, probably okay. because they're both set in San Francisco with, you know, yeah, yeah. with a big slacker, but enjoyed it. Um, and so really enjoyed their chemistry. I thought the rest of the movie, of course, is really obviously well cast, um, really pulls from a like what I think is amazing to me, though, about the Shang-Chi movie is and I got to tell you, I was so I don't even think I was high while watching it, but I was so behind the curve that I was like, oh, the Ten Rings are the, oh, so this all does. So he's like the Mandarin son, but not really the Mandarin because that name's racist. But and that's why Ben Kingsley's here. And this is why. Okay, all right. Fine, fine, fine. Wasn't it a joy to see Ben Kingsley's like absolute fucking loser actor show up again? Oh, great. He was so good. He was so great. He's so good. The num it like if there is a, um in this very slight pantheon of movie scenes that feel like they were written expressly for me, um, Ben Kingsley talking about being inspired to act after seeing Planet of the Apes, that whole thing is just hilarious and it is great. really fucking funny. Yeah, it's just it's really well done. What I think is interesting about... Oh, so... But one thing that I thought was fascinating about Shang-Chi is that... um, And and this is something to sort of revisit with the Eternals as well, is, um, you know, I'm very much reminded of that little story that I think Wizard Magazine probably trotted out like nine million times when Marvel was starting out the Ultimate line, which was, you know, Mark Miller's selling point to other people about trying to do the Ultimates line is like, okay, these these characters are all going to get developed by Hollywood. Why should they have all the fun of totally reinventing the characters? Let's do that first. And and I would say that for the most part, and I could be fooling myself, um, the Marvel Phase 1 movies all 
kind and may, maybe I guess phase two generally feel like the comic books that I read or if nothing else very much in in many cases the the ultimates um rebump yeah, of them you, you can recognize the DNA of the comic you read exactly uh and again have not watched a bunch of the Marvel movies like I I still haven't seen Still haven't seen Captain Marvel. I still haven't seen Black Widow. Uh, I don't know. Is this, is that is is that it? Am I caught up after? I that mean, point? let's see. You've seen like the the End Game and Infinity War. Yes, exactly. But uh, I, and, you I know, have seen the second Ant Man film. Uh, yeah, I did see the second Ant Man film, so and you I probably saw. Are caught up then. Yeah, it, with the exception of like the third Spider Man movie that you spoiled and. It literally you know, didn't is, say anything about, like, the central plot. It's fine, Graham. Movie, it's okay. okay. It's all right. You warned us. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, is, is, is yeah, they're, they're getting pretty far afield from the original concepts of the character. Like the Shang-Chi movie, which I enjoyed. And, you know, I've, I've dipped into, I, I don't think I'm quite as fond of the reboot that I think uh, isn't it Gene uh, Louis Yang? Yeah, is yeah. writing right now. Um, but Greg Pak also contributed to on I think on previous go rounds and things. I I had looked at some of those. In fact, I think I did read the first trade by by Gene Yang, and they're fine. You know, they're all right. But at, but even those are so different from what this movie is. Is that I'm like they really sort of boiled down the essence of well, you know, sort of like. He knows Kung Fu, he was trained to be an assassin by his supervillain dad. And that's pretty much... That's it. That's yeah. it, exactly. Yeah. And from there, they just go... I mean, it, which is weird, because, of course, they actually literally have Razor Fist in there. Um, uh, but, but yeah, it's, re- it's, it, it's interesting seeing as Marvel goes more further and further into their cinematic universe, how much there's kind of a willingness to reinvent the story to make the movie work, which in the case of Shang-Chi, it really did. And, you know, but he was like, so is that, you know, kind of like, so was this character in the comic? I'm like, not really. No, 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 no. That strange little pig dog thing with no face and rainbow wings. No, you know, so it's, it's, it's very it was a very odd experience despite the fact that a it was really good and b a lot of their choices particularly with Shang-Chi were made to remove a lot of blucky racial stereotyping yeah. and um and I think that this was also really smart like include a variety of other Asian cinematic influences um, and frankly to re maneuver the characters to play well with Asian audiences, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I'm going to pivot off this because I think that like the obvious nice place to go is Eternals, mm-hmm. but I want to pivot off this before we get there to say yeah. uh, I'm running into this from a different angle lately, which in a way that's been really interesting. Um, I think I've said before that the nine-year-old uh, has been reading, getting into reading comics. Yes. So he's got access to Marvel Unlimited, right? And 
he loves the MCU. He loves the MCU. He, weirdly enough, he doesn't like the TV shows so much, but he loves the MCU movies. And, like Iron Man is his favorite character, and he thinks the Captain America films are great, and he thinks the Avengers films are great. And like in his, you know, everyday play, everyday conversation, he'll reference shit from the MCU all the time. Mm-hmm. And now he has access to Marvel Unlimited. And he is struggling to find comics he's interested in. Hmm. And he loves these characters. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this week he did watch the first episode of Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. And he dug it. Mm. He was like, I, I love this. This is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, what should I read? <laughs> and I was like, honestly, there's not like a lot of Moon Knight that is like the show. Mm-hmm. There's, there's really not. At least not yet. Right. The more the show goes on, the more there's like a, an obvious tie-in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know it's definitely in the first episode. Like this spoils nothing because it's in the ad, it's in the trailers. But Moon Knight the show starts from the point of view of Stephen Grant, who does not know he has DID. Mm-hmm. Right. So so literally, the 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 first episode reveal is like, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, there are parts of your life that you literally have no idea about. Mm-hmm. Um. And so the nine year old's like, oh, you know, what, what should I read? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I really don't. Like, right. Maybe just don't read a Moon Knight comic. <laughs> you know, maybe, just wait, maybe just wait until the show goes on a while, and then there's right. going to come a point where I could say something, and it's not going to spoil the show for you. Right. And, of course, he's, he's nine, so, like, that's not what he does. <laughs> right. And, so, and he's using my Marvel Limited account. So I, mm-hmm. see, I see, like, the continued reading. I see what he's read. And I see that he's read uh, a the the infinite comics version of the Lemire Smallwood run. Mm. Mm. So the first early in the Lemire Smallwood run, they put out a reformatted as an infinite comic. Right, which I mean, I hope he's reading on an iPhone because that stuff just doesn't. He's reading. Work on, he's reading on an iPad. But, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, power that, to yeah, him. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, he checked out an issue of the Warren Ellis Declan Shelby. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, you know, what did you think? And he was like, No, I liked the the Infinite Comics. Like, mm-hmm. I I thought that was I thought that was exciting. And I thought that was fun. I was like, What do you think of the other one? And he was like, It was bad. <laughs> it was boring, and it was really it was really over the top pretentious. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh man, you're right. <laughs> like, That's great. You are you are one hundred percent right. Mm. But it's weird, like, I can't, I genuinely can't, whatnots, if you have good, like, answers to this, like, I can't think of an Iron Man comic to recommend him. Okay, so this is going to sound crazy. He's interested in Iron Man, he's, he's, he kind of had some interest in Moon Knight. What if you just threw him into West Coast Avengers by Englehart around the time that Moon Knight shows up like before the I, whole cross time. I genuinely capers. don't know. Uh, in for a couple of reasons. One, he's he's been relatively resistant to comics uh, of a certain era or earlier. Right. Um. But also, Jeff, you might not remember, but Moon Knight comes in during the Has Mockingbird Killed Her Rapist storyline. Yeah, but 
Yes, no, and believe me, I mean, even if you even if you bring her in, like, if you bring it in earlier, Tigra has that whole like, am I a nymphomaniac cat? Yeah, so I'm, you not, know? I'm not sure that's really where I want to go with that. I, whereas I actually think that in its weird, not handled well way, I think it's the sort of stuff. I don't know. For myself, I'm like. Maybe be a year or two later, but I mean, it's sort of handled in a, I don't know, you know, like, cause the, they are in theory, heady themes almost, but they're, they're handled sort of, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was going to say, I was going to say like weirdly discreetly for their exploitative time. I oh my god, sir, like the Mockingbird one 100% isn't. Okay. I mean, I I I I, 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 I get what you're trying to say, but also no. Okay. Um, but for real, like if anyone can think of an Iron Man storyline in particular <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, but genuinely like an right. Iron Man story, Jeff, like yeah. not not just like you know, one that Iron Man appears in. Sure. Right? Yeah. I can't think of one. Um because again, I'm thinking like what's appropriate for a 9-year-old? Right. You know, and also, what's exciting to a nine-year-old? Because, mm-hmm. you know, part of me is like, well, honestly, anything pre-90s, he's not going to take. Right, right. You know, but that sort of leaves, old. what, extremists and then the, <laughs> right. the, the fraction run? Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, maybe not. Um, um, how about, but I mean, I mean, there's that, you know, that, see, it's just too weird and cerebral, but he might be into it in a, He's. it's going to be a little over his head, but the... Six issue Adam Warren mini that's the Iron Man AI suit that's like struggling to more or less survive and yeah maybe yeah so I mean I recall it's like got lots of like cool big weird ideas and stuff and it's sort yeah of... I'll, I'll take I'll take a look through um to give some more context and also just because I think you'll be as as fascinated as I am yeah um. What do you think his two favorite things that he's read in Marvel Unlimited so far? Um, it's not. It's Jeff, is it? Because I would think. Well, yes, yeah, one of them is. It's Jeff. Okay, all right. Um, that I figured was absolutely adores. Yeah. The other one is sort of left field for me. That I'm floored, and I'm particularly floored by the intensity of his love for this particular comic. Oh, I don't think I'm going to get it. Miles Morales, Spider Man. The current oh, run. Wow, really? And he thinks it's the greatest thing. He thinks it's the greatest comic. That's... He loves it. He loves it. Wow. It, it, it takes every box for him. Because hmm. I was like, okay, why? Like, why do you love it so much? And he was just like, it's everything. Mm-hmm. It's writing. It's the art. I just think Miles is great. Mm-hmm. Like, everything. He thinks the bad guys are exciting. He loves everything about it and when i say like he loves this he read the i think it's like 30 odd issues that are up in marvel limited in two days wow okay like he tore through it huh is that still is, is that the saladin ahmed yeah. run yeah. and then who's who's doing the art or i'm sure it varies I from honestly don't arc, know. right yeah i honestly don't know who's doing there and that hmm. um but he loves it hmm. it it is it he he is he can't say enough good things about it. To the point where he's now going back and like reading earlier Miles Morales comics. Wow. Because hmm. he's just like, yeah, th- this was so good. Well, I kind of get it. I mean, I do think, you know, one of the things that's really funny for our um, 
Uh, Graham, you may remember that we did Baxter Building, our read-through, mm-hmm. the first 416 issues of Fantastic Four. And and dipping a little bit into, um, because we were reading those, we were flipping between um, the Marvel Universe stuff, but I think for the first, I don't know, 100 issues, I really relied on the scans from the GT Core yeah, yeah, yeah. DVDs we own, which have the letters pages in them. And... and one thing that I think is to me is really fascinating is how much the Fantastic Four was a huge hit, and Spider-Man was a huge hit as well, is because um, the Human Torch and Spider-Man were were teenagers, and therefore they were kids. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. But they they were not Robin the Boy Wonder style kids. Oh they yeah, sure, were, yeah, yeah. You know, and I do wonder if maybe maybe for the nine-year-old, like having Miles Morales still be in uh, school. Yeah. In school and having to deal with class and recognizably like a teenager. So, you know, it scales up, but it, but there's still enough touchstone points that it's easier to, to sort of, um, you know, there's more imaginary recognition, I guess, I suppose. Yeah, it's just it it's fascinating to me. But he like that's that's his thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's his thing to the point where like, you know, we've had discussions about is Peter Parker better than Miles Morales or not? <laughs> you know, like yeah. you, you, the whole thing. He's he's fascinated that the clone because there's a clone saga in the, the Miles Morales Spider Man thing. Mm. And like he's he's just like he's like, Well that that's a, like he's he's got an evil clone, that's amazing. Right, right. How cool is that? Yeah. Right, I, that's it's, great. I mean, it's I've said before, like you know, watching him watch the Marvel movies is kind of great for me because mm-hmm. it feels like I get to see them without all the cynicism. Yeah, right. Like, there's something genuinely great about watching the old, like, shitty Fox Fantastic Four movies, and he's just like, Mister Fantastic's great. <laughs> and you have this moment where, like, he is though. He, he is. Like, he is awesome. He, he is great. Like, if yeah. you can look past everything, he is great. And and so it's the same, you know, when he's talking about Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. Or he's just like, yeah, Miles Morales is great. He's like, it's great that there's another Spider-Man. Yeah. It's great that like he's a kid. It's great that you know he has his family who knows he's Spider-Man and they're supportive of him. Mm-hmm. And, and like all these things, and he's just like, yeah, this is just great. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got these bad guys, but you know what are the bad guys up to? I don't know, and that's great. You know, and it's all this stuff. <laughs> when I read, I'm like, this is a completely serviceable superhero comic. Right. Right. Exactly. It's, like this is not reinventing the wheel. Right. And then. You know, you see it through the eyes of someone who, you know, has never used the wheel before. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Much less been rolling on one for like thirty plus years. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, this is mind blowing. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it it's kind of great. Mm. But at the same time, you know, he then reads, you know, the the Ellis Shelby and it's like, yeah, that you know, that that's just kind of bad. Right. Which is also <laughs> and, great. And, and, yeah, but that's just it, because it's not just, like, it's not that everything wows him, right? Right. He still has his taste. He still has this idea of, like, what is good and what isn't. Mm. Hey, and you he know, can, can still, sorry. like, discern those things. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, maybe, have you read any of the Jed McKay uh, Moon Knight stuff? Because I'm hearing good stuff about that. And uh, uh, maybe that I, would work a little bit better. Yeah, it... maybe. Mm. Um it's probably the one that's closest to like what he's looking for from Midnight Comic, to be honest. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, I also want to keep him away from Midnight stuff because because he's only seen the first episode, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, see, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to spoil you for the Midnight show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but suffice to say, Midnight does not really appear in the first episode, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you get a glimpse of a lot of the Midnight mythology, but it's not explained. You're literally getting a glimpse. And so the nine-year-old watched the entire show, and he'd see something that t- people would read the comics. They're like, "Oh, that's X character." Right. And he was like, "Oh my god, that's got to be Moon Knight." <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I'm just biting my tongue, going, "Maybe uh, we'll have to watch more." Yeah. Exactly. And and so. I didn't want to go, no, you should read this, because I didn't want him to be like, oh, it wasn't Midnight, it was so-and-so. Mm, mm-hmm. Got it. You know? I, I want him to enjoy the show as the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, one last thing about the show, and then we can get back to Eternals, which I do want to hear you talk about. Um, the first episode of Midnight, uh, again, like the vaguest of spoilers, there's a sequence in an Eastern European, an unnamed Eastern European country. Mm-hmm. And... Honestly, where that country is is not important, right? It's only important in that, like, when he wakes up, Mm -hmm. surprised because he had been in London and now he's not. Got it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've seen a lot of people online this week be like, "That was Latveria." (laughs) I I I don't think it necessarily is. Mm-hmm. But I also love the idea that it could be. Right. I right. genuinely love the idea that, like, they're like they're going to be like, no, that was Latveria. Mm-hmm. Like, if mm-hmm. there's a line somewhere in the later episode where they're like, yeah, what did you do? Why were you showing up in Latveria? I will be thrilled. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that would be very, very clever. I do hope they do that. So. Huh. Man. See, I, this, these, these things can be, I don't know, they can be fun. Um, and then they can be the eternals. eternals. Yeah. So, 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 so yeah. Um, weirdly enough, uh, I honestly would have sworn after watching Shang-Chi and we enjoyed it, uh, and Edie was like, yeah, what else can we watch? I was kind of like, oh, you know, uh, this Oscar Isaac Moon Knight series just dropped. We, I know you like Oscar Isaac. She's like, uh, what, what else we got? And I'm like, well, here's the screen. She's like, Do you how about this? Remember me saying the Eternals was terrible? I'm fairly sure I said it on this podcast. I've definitely told you privately. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Everyone has has talked about the fact that it is awful. Um, my my friend John, uh, who is a huge MCU booster, one of the probably funniest conversations I think in my life that I've had with him was listening to him um, spend 10 minutes like trying to find something positive to say about the Eternals and and all but failing (laughs) failing. and then just finally admitting that it was wretched Um, and so I said to Edie I'm like because she was like so let's watch this let's watch the Eternals I'm like You're like no, you're gonna let's let's not. But you know, but I also had this thing of like we we were both kind of high, and I was like, sure, like there's never gonna be a better time to watch this movie, and um, <laughs> and I I I I soon came to regret that thought. No, the thing that's funny, Graham, is I gotta tell you, is is like the 
first the very first line of dialogue so we're high i warn her we put it on there's that scene first there's the scroll which i'll get to but you know there's cersei there's uh, icarus they they wake up on their ship the domo they look out toward earth cersei turns to icarus and says it's beautiful and he says to her i'm icarus and we we laughed until we cried like at that point i was like <laughs> we were both like, oh i know what this film is <laughs> right and well and honestly i kind of had a moment of and then uh, like even before uh time by pink floyd kicks in which is just awesome i had that moment of like i'm like oh everyone this is i had this moment of like this is going to be great everyone was expecting like because because of whatever else i'm like this is going to be like our clash of the titans or our flash gordon our this is so like bad at the time but kind of watchable cheese that it's that people are that you're gonna that it's actually gonna like it it misses hugely because it's a horrible movie this is not and and that is not that is a mistake but um and then again because because it was not that no and okay so here's the thing it's not good, and there's a lot of things with the performances that are, are horrible. There's so many ways in which the movie gets um, just just bad – so many bad choices. Like, it gets mm-hmm. sunk under them. I will say, however, that I think that and, – and this – I'm saying this knowing in advance how you're going to react to this – is that if – that the Eternals movie, the screenplay and everything they're doing with it is so Alan Moore from the early to mid eighties that I kind of love it. So for everyone else, of course you love it. Spoilers are fully on, but the fact that, cause, and I have to say, I give you credit Graham for making the movie more enjoyable for me directly because one of the things that you said was you made it sound like Droog was the bad guy of the movie and of course the genius the quote-unquote genius of it is is that it's Icarus is Mm -hmm. the conflicted bad guy and that's that's kind of a great turn it's a great little moment if if it had been a good movie up until that point The that stage wow. of things. If it, if, it, if it had been a good movie, then that moment would have been good. No, that movie was that moment was good for me. It would have been great after the thing that's really weird about um, casting. What's his dingle? Whose name I can't remember. The Scotsman is Icarus. Is he is so horribly wooden throughout so much of the movie and then suddenly in those couple of scenes he gets to act and it's it's surprisingly great um you were very high (laughs) um it's interesting it's really interesting that i had read some of the stuff where chloe Zhao had talked about how she was really influenced by Zack Snyder's mm-hmm. Man of Steel, and it really shows up. Yeah, you can tell. 
you can really tell. And and honestly, there were parts where I was like, yeah, parts of this are like, honestly, some of this, this shit is better than Joss Whedon's Justice League, you know, but... Oh, yeah. Um... But also, that's a very low bar. <laughs> I know it is a it is about as low a bar as you can get. Frankly, it's like saying that it totally, like handily shows up Ghost Rider too. Um, you know, it's just, uh, uh th- like I said, a lo- there's a lot of weird more touchstones in it. The whole fingers, right? You know, the the mountains rising that are fingers. The the weird um, Icarus's. Uh, He's he's one sort of the same way that Zack Snyder's Superman cribs a little bit from Grown Up Kid Miracle Man from Miracle Man, um, mm-hmm. and and so some some of those influences. So I kind of you know for me I was like oh if this had been a good movie the the <laughs> the attempt to essentially kind of. Um, pull the rug out from under you for what you think the Eternals is going to be um, is is potentially really great. Like that sort of the, the... And I think the thing that really is a shame is that the Eternals is um, pretty much... I don't know, Shang-Chi also kind of felt this way, although it didn't really quite go far enough. But... The Eternals felt like it was the movie that had worked the hardest to step outside of the MCU traditional first movie blueprint. And unfortunately, in part because it's a failure, it would not surprise me if Marvel more or less packs all that back up. I I say that, but maybe Guardians of the Galaxy actually also did a much better job of stepping outside that kind of, oh, now they're facing their evil twin sort of thing. But there's a lot of, um, there, there's, there was a lot where I was like, oh, this, this could have been great. And, oh man, it is so bad. It's just, it's just bad. There's shit that they fuck up. How can anyone like Chloe Zhao's like, yeah, I love movies. I love Zack Snyder. I blah, blah, my movies, movies. I'm like, how can you fuck up a Bollywood music sequence? Like that, that, that's, that's a particular weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it is honestly looks as if someone has made one after having something described to them. Yeah, totally. Totally. Which is so strange because even if Chloe Zhao had somehow never seen the Bollywood music sequence before, you're directing a film of that scale. You'd actually try and do well, right? Right. You like, do some research. You think? I mean, they they get all the people, they get the set on there, and they totally. And, and I think the other thing that's sort of pro, and it could be the problematic area of how do I how do I put it? Like, I do think that uh, Kamal's portrayal of first off the you know the the idea of an eternal turning into a movie star is kind of um eh, i mean far-fetched at best but the whole idea that he's more or less doing it by portraying part of a, a lineage of it is i'm like okay but like you guys are like like nobody wanted to do the research i'm like bollywood movies are really good a and fun and the musical numbers are good but 
but I was I was shocked. It was like it was like she like they only deigned to watch like um like a cell phone commercial parody of a Bollywood musical, if that makes sense. <laughs> like I was like, this is real vague like in the perimeter, but no. Like you fully expect someone to whip out a thing of juicy fruit gum or something and someone being like, Oh, and that's what a Bollywood musical is like. Got it. Just not. Um, just, just, a, I, I, to me, the thing that was the hardest is, is that the performances, well, the thing that's hilarious is, is that when the scroll starts, um, of course, Edie didn't know this, but I, I more or less started, like, you get to the, the first sentence in the second paragraph of the scroll, the scrolling sequence, and it deviates from Kirby's original concept. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the thing that I think that sums up the Eternals so well to me is, is like, if you are going to throw out something from Jack Kirby's concepts, like, the fact that, the fact that they, the the one thing they insisted on holding onto were the characters' names. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for yeah, Jack yeah. Kirby, like, get rid of the names. Keep everything else. Everything else more or less works. But... I mean, the, the craziest thing about Eternals is it's not an Eternals story. No, I don't, it's really not. In the sense of, yeah. like, you know, they did, like, you know, the reveal, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in the sense of there's almost none of the original like concept of the Eternals in there. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, if you're going to change all this shit up, then why in the name of, like, part of me is like, then get rid of the fucking names. You know what I mean? Like, but the, but yeah, no, they kept doing all this stuff and then people are miscast and then on top of which, the acting is horrible. Like, I could not figure out, I, I genuinely turned to Edie and said, like, the, when they were did a casting call for Sprite, did they? I assume they insisted that they needed a red haired, red headed teenager who could act. And I'm like, why didn't they get either of those? Why couldn't they have get one of the two? Like she doesn't even have red hair and she can't act. Like the performances are just fucking god awful through so much of that. Angelina Jolie. I mean, the whole thing that everyone in that fucking movie is like literally speak these are the eternals they're talking to one another in english which therefore means that is quote unquote their home language their eternal language and none of the not a single actor sounds like english is their first language except i guess (laughs) brian tyree henry but i'm like nobody else like fucking angelina jolie like just i'm like all of these people. So the the guy playing Droog, at one point he starts acting. It's like 45 minutes into the movie. And Edie and I both sat up <laughs> like, whoa, what, what's happening? What, what, what? I mean, that's how bad. The fact that you're watching a movie where fucking, what, Kit Williams or whatever is the best actor for the first hour. Oh, wow. Again, I think you might have been really high. No. <laughs> No, no, no. That's like saying you were beat by Ghost Rider 2. Like, he is... He's bad, but I don't really expect much from him, frankly. But he had... he His stuff was landing better than most of the other people whenever they'd open their mouths. Horrible. Oh, fucking hell. Sama Hayek. Oh, my 
God, her performance was. So I just, I was like, just, I'm glad I was high because if I wasn't, I would have been so acutely embarrassed for everyone on screen so much of the time. <laughs> um, but since I wasn't, instead, I was just like, as you said, like they, unlike the Shang-Chi movie where they totally more or less step back from the material and go a different direction where they made smart choices that they were able to pull off. The Eternals for the most part makes so many stupid choices that it can't pull off. Like just really, there was, there were just points where I just, I had to keep turning to Edie and I'm like, these people, like, honestly, we both laughed until we wept over the whole sequence where uh, Festos is like, I'm going to give him the steam engine. And they're like, no, you can't. You can't. That's going to throw things off here. He's like, okay, fine. How about a plow? You know, and I'm dying. I'm like, you're saying this in the city of fucking Babylon. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just that thing of like stupid people making a stupid movie. I'm like, I think they figured out how to have a fucking plow considering you're in a banquet room with like actual, you know, it wasn't like people went and gathered that stuff, you dumb shit. Like just, just bad. And I, I know, I feel like you specifically complained about this. Maybe not, but the way in which they utterly neuter the purpose of the Eternals mission you know, f again, from the comic to the Deviants, there's the whole, like, oh, it's the Manhunters and Green Lantern all over again yeah, in yeah. many ways. Um, oh, man. Just when Ereshim started speaking, I was like, oh, this is so... Once he was like, oh, ah, uh, in that dumb-ass, like, voiceover actor for Circuit City voice, you know... <laughs> <laughs> you must search out the deviants now on sale. It was ah uh, bad, so much bad, bad shit. But like bad choices. And I got to tell you, the only time where that movie even got even worse was whenever they mentioned the MCU stuff. Like that whole thing of like you, you used to, you had no belief in humans. What changed? When Thanos snapped his fingers, I was like, oh, you assholes. No. Like, it, I did love time. that like, they felt the need to draw your attention to that. Because, again, it was the thing where they're like, why didn't you fight back against Thanos? Because he wasn't a deviant. And I was like, okay, but you've said the deviants don't exist anymore. Were you just like, yeah, fuck it. Like, we will literally do we'll nothing see... ever. Well, see, and there there is something to me. I think there's actually a really potentially fun idea of, and in a way that almost all but t touches on Jack Kirby's um, idea in in the early issues of the Eternals, which is that the that there are characters here who have been so long, like they're they're at an abandoned post. You know what I mean? And so there's supposedly the characters that have just given up, uh, essentially, any idea of responsibility and sort of sunken into to sort of hedonism and decadence. And the closest you really get to that is Kamal's character, and it doesn't really work. But everyone has their stick up their ass so much. Like, it 
every part of that movie is all about the idea of like from the time that the last deviant was killed like everyone just sits around having absolutely no fun and doing fuck all forever and 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 but weirdly but in that again because in that weird stiff self-important way of like none of these characters have like the the idea towards the end of the movie that these characters have an internal life particularly Icarus and Sprite because of their decisions very much revolve around their beliefs and their desires that they that other people can't see or understand or in theory sympathize but don't really get um could have been a thing but it's just so it's just so fucking not like and and it's it's amazing how much they fucked up the whole like the whole idea that Cersei actually cares about humanity and human beings and they they can't even think to jam in like any sort of loose example until she's like I don't know, coddle, you know, coddling Babylonians in a flashback, like two hours and 15 minutes in the movie's just, it's paced like shit. It's structured like shit. It's, it's just, it's written shittily. And it really does keep, it keeps swerving away from Kirby's ideas in a way that I don't understand. Like the deviants are a utterly superfluous in that movie they, they might as well honestly the eternal i mean the is basically don't exist in that movie they, they're no. like they're cgi monsters that might as well just be like video game characters i i have to tell you that if you that i think that the eternals is as is is as arguably close to being a shitty adaptation of Jim Lee's Wildcats as it is of being Jack Kirby's The Eternals. You know what I mean? Like it's about I mean, the same. You're, you're you're not wrong. Yeah, and so the the shit that they were doing, and then at a certain point, they've got Crow, who's named by who's played by you know motion cap by. Bill Sarsgaard is actually saying shit. Again, there's ways in which it's like, oh, this could be interesting, but so was not. Oh, bad. And that shit with Angelina Jolie, just shitty. So yeah, I really had high hopes that this would be our centuries, uh, our, our, this decade's Zardoz and, it just was not, and it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a shame. But I gotta tell I'm you, genuinely I'm genuinely like Jeff. I told you how bad this was. Yeah, yeah, I know, Graham. I know. But okay, first off, you and I somewhat disagree. Second off, Edie wanted to see it. You know. Third no, off, no, I, I'm not even. No, 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 no. Let's roll this back. Let's roll this back because your partner makes you watch shitty movies all the time, and I don't turn around and go, Graham, I told you, Graham, I told you, Graham. You know, like sometimes you just gotta suck it up and watch the shitty movie. I mean, I can see if you might be upset that I wasn't watching one of the other less shitty MCU movies, or as you pointed out, West Side Story, an actual good movie. No, no, no. I'm not upset that you watched it. I'm upset that you were like, see, I was convinced it was going to be some forgotten piece of genius. No, 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 no. But like, that's the part where I'm like, Jeff, multiple people have told you this is a terrible film. 
you know, uh, yes. And you're like, yeah, but they're all wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. They could have been. They could have been. Graham, it sometimes happens. There's times where I like shit that people don't like. Barb Wire, starring uh, Pamela Anderson, is terrible. But I really enjoyed watching it in the movie theaters because there's so many stupid things about it. It's kind of dull, but I'm like. But the idea that you like basically end up remaking Casablanca with barbed wire is to me deeply amusing. You and I, I ended up enjoying that fourth Matrix movie that you seem to act like it personally, uh, you know, stole money from you. Um, and I, I, I think, <laughs> I, and I think that's fair. I feel like you and I mostly agree on the good stuff. It's always the bad stuff where you and I like pivot. You know what I mean? And so even though you and the entire waking world was like, this movie is going to suck. I have to admit, like, I like I love, when I, the... I genuinely love it. I love that you're like, no, but I was the one who was going to recognize his greatness. <laughs> there's a little <laughs> bit of hubris there. I'm just saying there's like movies a like, well, but I mean, like you walk out, like you walk out of the original <laughs> Clash of the Titans, and you're like, "That was not good, but maybe it will grow on me." And it did. Big Trouble in Little China. That wasn't great, but you know, maybe it'll be a cult classic. Like I've seen movies shit on that are now embraced, and you have too. And sometimes your thing is so. Sometimes, yeah, you think like, "Okay, you know what? Nobody else likes this Hong Kong film, My Flying Wife." I'm going to, but I'm going to watch it. I like My Flying Wife a lot. And then you can be the guy at parties who's like, you know what? You should watch My Flying Wife. It's no swordsman too, but it's good. And, uh, you know, like the Eternals, I'd be like, it's, it's, uh, it's an underrated, terrible movie. Like, you know, when you get to watch, you know, Rob Stark have his head shoved through a pyramid while Pink Floyd's time is playing, that should be great. Or when Salma Hayek says something dummy, like, like, just like, like you literally think that she's been hired off the street or won a contest and has never acted in anything before. You're like, yeah, this, this could work, you know, because again, there's terrible movies that you come across and you're like, oh yeah, this, you know, like, honestly, look at the Batman people, the number of people that like, like I feel the Batman has such an impressively high love to hate ratio. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people sort of in between who are like, oh, it's Batman. But I think there's a lot of people who are like, it's really does something. It pulls off all the shit that it tries to pull off. And then I still see people who are like, the Batman is the stupidest Batman movie I have ever seen. Hands down. That movie is just dumb. And, you know, like, I kind of, so part of me was like, okay, everyone hates the Eternals. Maybe I will end up being the one that it was clearly made for. And like I said, there's parts toward the end where I was like, oh, fuck, they really could have pulled this off. Like, this is so Alan Moore-ish. Like, it totally takes the original idea, totally deconstructs it. It totally takes the original hero and turns him into a villain. It totally takes a complete apocalypse and then turns it on its head. You know, like, all, all, all in theory, good stuff. Just not. Just no. It's not. Yes. So, yes, Graham, you've found me guilty of the crime of cinematic hubris. Congratulations.
I'm glad we're on the same page finally. Ah, <laughs> uh, so if so, before we pivot to things like I don't know comic books, have you watched any more bad but horny movies lately? Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Did we watch a video drama on Wednesday? Yes. Oh my! Okay. <laughs> Talking about bad and horny movies, I have seen video drama. This is maybe the third or fourth time I've seen it. But there's always gaps in between watching uh, Videodrome, right? Videodrome is not a film I, like, revisit every year or whatever. Of course. And I feel like I'm watching a different film every single time I watch it. I, 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 I for one thing, I found it far less horny this time. Huh. And Videodrome is, like, an objectively horny film. Oh, very much so, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And yet, mm-hmm. uh, one thing that I had genuinely forgotten about Videodrome, I had forgotten all of the... Like conspiracy theory, mind control shit. Oh, all of it. I had forgotten every single piece of that, which is checks notes. The plot of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I literally remembered like the the uh, like the 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 visual moments, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah, like the, the melted gun hand and and you know yeah. the uh, it's, shit. What did we end up calling it? I think we called it the the Betamax pussy stomach, <laughs> um, and like you know all the Debbie Harry stuff because it's Debbie Harry, but like you know long live the new flesh. I remembered all that stuff. By the but way, I, if remember, Chloe like, decides the, I, to do a zine for like ECC, um, she totally has her title. By the way, <laughs> Be- Betamax pussy, pussy stomach. stomach. Yeah, that is a zine title where people are like, oh. I'm trading you a copy of my crappy zine for this because that's I gotta have that. Anyway, sorry, you were saying? Um, yeah, I, 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 I genuinely completely forgotten the plot. Wow! Like I, rem- I even remember the name Doctor Brian Oblivion. <laughs> did not remember like what he did in the film at all. Right. Uh, and so I'm watching it and I'm like, this, this is just this is just ridiculous. <laughs> Man, that's I like seeing the film anew. Well, there you go. Um, what else? We watched Benedetta. Have we talked, watched Benedetta since last time we spoke? Oh, God. It wouldn't surprise me because, of course, you guys were, uh, after Showgirls, it was kind of like, I'm like, oh, I was fully expecting Chloe to go on a full Paul Verhoeven semi-horny movie kick. So so basically, we watched Benedetta uh, as much as anything because it was on Hulu. And we're oh, like, really? what's this? We huh. got to pay any money for Benedetta? Sure. I loved Benedetta, and I'm not being like sarcastic or ironic or anything. Really, I genuinely love Benedetta. I thought it was an amazing film. Hmm. I I uh, have wanted to see it. Yeah, uh, you know the vague setup, right? Um, yes, lesbian nuns. Um... Yes, uh, a nun who basically is, you know, depending on your reading of the film, uh, delusional. Or it's actually getting messages from God, and it's in communication with God, um, who, for all intents and purposes, takes over her convent mm-hmm. uh, and believes that God is speaking to her, uh, and and also is a lesbian, is having an affair with another nun in, in the convent. Right. Um, and it was genuinely great. It huh. was subtle in a way that a Verhoeven isn't, but also <laughs> honestly, in a way that like a lot of the film isn't. But right. like the relationship between Benedetta and and the the nun she's in, uh, having an affair with, 
mm-hmm. is done like with surprising subtlety, and uh, it it feels intimate and tender. Hmm. Which again, it's not something you necessarily think of Verhoeven for. Yeah, I suppose right? that's. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, and I I I really like I really enjoyed it. I I mm-hmm. thought it was it's you know one of the things I've enjoyed the most that I've seen recently. I, I, thought fabulous. Was, I thought it was just astonishingly good. Mm. Uh, I, we'd watched Crash last time we spoke, right? Yes, we had. We had and... watched Crash. Um, mm-hmm. And then Titan. We watched Titan as well because we talked about those at the same time. Right. Although I, I'm trying to, I might be, I'm trying to think if we talked about them on the podcast or you and I talked during our skip week about it. But it would not, because I, I think Crash was eminent when Chloe was on the episode. And and in fact, what you told me made me wonder if Crash made Videodrome less horny for you. Because... Um, oh no, Crash was... I didn't think Crash was particularly horny at all. That's what... That that was my point, right? I think and, and, I think we I think you and I talked Crash last week when we weren't recording. Yeah, that's what I think. So I think you'd said, like, you were impressed at how unhorny Crash was. Like, what a non-horny, horny movie it is. And I wonder again, if maybe Cr- that Crash bled is, over to Videodrome. So. Yeah, Crash is very much, again, a film about fetishism. Yeah, right. You know? Uh, and, and that's the entire point of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I find it surprisingly unhorny. And... and I mean, don't get me wrong. Videodrome is, is a much hornier film. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly enough, Videodrome also feels like I feel like you should watch Videodrome and Network in a twofer. Oh, interesting. Huh. You know, I, I think they're both uh, media criticism films dressed up as interpersonal relationship films. Right. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. If that doesn't sound, you know, completely ridiculous or... or, or no, 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 no. I really see it. Yeah, actually. I could see where two separate sets of concerns about where TV and TV culture is going manifest in very different ways in those two yeah. films. And like you said, there's... And also various forms of... Strong, controlling female interpersonal anxiety things, you know. So, because I definitely like, I'd never draw had drawn a line between Faye Dunaway's character and Debbie Harry's character, but I can kind of see it now in a way that I'm like, oh, I think I really would want to watch those two as a as a double feature. In fact, so there you go, everyone. I've given you something to watch. Um, right yeah, after you feel, finish feel, watching The Eternals at Jeff's recommendation. Everyone, watch The Eternals and then to recover. <laughs> I, I know you're I know you're working your way through Disney Plus right now, as opposed to anything else. Uh, I will say, if you have to watch anything in Disney Plus, apart from Turning Red, which I don't think you have watched, even though that was the thing I told you to watch last week. Yeah. Um, there's always Critter Fixers, which uh, is, is currently my favorite thing in Disney Plus. Critter Fixers. It's it's literally a National Geographic show about vets in Georgia. Aww. It is one hundred percent. Here's two funny guys. They're trying to save you know any number of pets in an episode. Sometimes they succeed. Sometimes they don't. Mm. Your dog strings will be tugged. Complete fucking sucker for that shit. Of course you are. Yeah. Um, uh, what did you think of What If? Did you have any opinions on it? Because, again, a friend of mine who 
basically keeps telling me, like, look, look, before Disney Plus goes away, you should probably watch What If. It's probably the best of the MCU TV stuff on Disney Plus. I would I would disagree with that, personally. I see. I mean, what do I think of What If? Uh, Jeff, do you like sort of generic, bland animation? <laughs> are, you a, are you a fan of, uh, like... MCU minutia, it's the show for you. <laughs> well, it sounds perfect. Thank you, Graham. Um, yeah, it, it, I, uh, I, I couldn't really say that I was, I was a massive fan. Mm-hmm. But again, the nine-year-old loves it. So, so who ah. am I? Right. Indeed. Um. No, I. Yeah, I, I watched Turning Red. <laughs> That's what you should watch on Disney Plus. It's really good. Um, no, but what I was going to say is uh, HBO Max mm-hmm. has a chunk of stuff right now, but in particular, right now they're they've just finished um, Earth Like Means Death, which is really good. Um, but Minx and Julia are both running right now, mm-hmm. and feel weirdly enough like two different variations on the same idea. Only one of them is real, huh. uh, but I would highly recommend both. I'm really enjoying both. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Julia is Julia Child. It's a right. Julia Child sort of, uh, I was going to say biopic, but biopic TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, with Sarah Lancaster, who, Lancaster, who's a, a British actress, is Julia Child, and doing a fucking amazing job. Mm. Meryl Streep should fucking watch that film and be like, yeah, I fucked it up. She, she's doing a great job. Um, but Minx is, you've seen the trailers for Minx, right? Maybe uh, sort of like I read. I think I saw part of a trailer. I ended up reading a an interview with Jake Johnson. Yes, Johansson Johnson. And yes. Anyway, who I I quite like, and the the article sounded fun, and it was like, oh, me. The show is I'll very fun. The show is yeah. very very fun. It's uh, it's it's uh basically what if a really shitty pornographer in the nineteen seventies hired a woman who wants to write a, a magazine. Shit, what was the magazine originally called? It's not like Death to the, uh, the Patriarchy. It's something like that. And he hires her and he's like, okay, like, you know, I see something in this. I also think the woman wants to look at porn. <laughs> so basically, like, can like I'll I'll hire you and you can mm-hmm. publish your all your essays as long as I can put naked guys in it. Mm. Uh, and and so it's 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 very funny, but it's also mm-hmm. sharp in ways that it's it almost go down easier because it's also like and look, here's Bambi who used to be a model and now has aspirations to be a talent coordinator or waka waka waka, um, but it's really fun and Jake Johnson is charming as shit in that show. Yes, yeah, he that dude that dude has no problem with the charm that is for sure. So, um, huh? Well, interesting. Okay. So I, re- I recommend both of those before, like, going back to the MCU. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just well, don't check. Mm. Life, life's too short. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. But, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, hmm. All right. So, comics? Comics news? Comics uh, has there been stuff? Comics this week? I feel like there's not. I was thinking this Well, see, the that's day. the thing. It's because of the this skip week, really... I feel like we two-weeks spread, but I don't feel like there's been any. I don't... Over the yeah, I don't think there's been any really big comics news. Yeah. Am I wrong? Like, there's been some announcements, but again, the announcements seem relatively like, low-key. 
Oh, I think we, I should say, because I know that there are listeners who do listen to the podcast who don't necessarily follow us on Twitter or the Wait What feed where I retweeted it, but hopefully they know by now that DC Unlimited is expanding outside the the U.S., and they should go look that up if they haven't heard that news, because I think it will be like the UK will have access before the end of this month, I think, right? Yes, the UK has access in like two weeks. Yeah, uh, which is great. Europe is, for the most part, like they've not announced anything, mm-hmm. but they they are promising basically more announcements by fall. And so I'd yeah. be really surprised if there's nothing in, in Europe, if there is Europe by fall. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's great news. That's been a sort of a long, uh, stewing topico conversation. Did you happen to see Tom King's sort of latest freebie newsletter where he talks about the different forms of black label continuity? Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting because it seemed to me you and I had talked about, you know, Again, you we, were... we, we talked about this off the podcast because oh, okay. you you had seen you had seen people right. uh, complaining that the latest issue of of Human Target mm-hmm. had done something that was very upsetting to a particular character, and I was like, yeah, but it's out of continuity. Who gives a shit? Right. Uh, which I think was kind of backed up by that newsletter, but also oh he... no, he's very much trying to make a way to get it included in there. He's saying. I'm not saying that it's not, but I am saying that if enough people were into it, it would be, and that's fine with me. That's how I'm writing it. See, I'm literally like, I feel like that's the very opposite of what he says. Do you? Like, okay. Yeah, Let's like, go to the videotape. I, I, I'm, Let's I'm, go yeah, to I'm the going, videotape. I'm going to, I'm going to find the actual thing. Um, let's see. So he says there's three types. There's the this has nothing to do with superheroes books. Second is the what if what might be books. These right. are books that grab the DC and twist it in ways you couldn't do in everyday continuity. Uh, but, 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 but. I haven't written this part of Black Label yet. Uh, yeah, I do apart from some of the, well, the yeah. last third of his Bat Cat stuff. Yeah. Third, you have prestige well, books. books that live right beside the DCU but are not taking place in the exact moment of the current monthly DCU books. These are books that take after Batman the Killing Joke. Like Killing Joke, they are in the present, abide by the rules of current continuity, feature big game, judging moments, and try to find the character from the current generation. Like Killing Joke, they don't immediately impact any of the other books in stands, but can impact the books in the long term. They are not written in continuity, but they can become continuity. See, so for me, I literally read that as it's not continuity. Okay. Graham, where does he put the accent marks on it? Like Killing Joke, they don't immediately impact any of the other books on the stand, but can impact sure. the books in the long term. They're not written in continuity, but they can become continuity. I, that is yeah. not the case of someone who is arguing that they are not. This That is someone who's saying, well, they can be, they can, and he says it's confusing yeah. or what yeah, gets a book to make that leap. And he says, like two paragraphs later, these are books that exist next to continuity and whether they become de- part of the DCU depends not on me or the brilliant people I work with, but on the brilliant people who read it and the brilliant people who hopefully, but not necessarily, will build something even better with it. Like, again, like, I see what you're saying, but I think he's fairly clear in saying it's outside continuity. He is fairly clear in saying that, yeah. 
He is. Like, he I, is... I, I think. I think. I. I. I don't see that as an argument of him saying "waka waka, wink wink." I think he's really clear in being like, "Yeah, this isn't happening in the in the continuity right now." Uh, yeah, he's saying it's not happening in the continuity right now, but he's also saying that doesn't mean that it can't end up in continuity. Yes. So, no, but I think that's pretty important, though, because he does take a point to to talk about these, and I think he lays he lays out the case very well. He spends a lot of time on the second case scenario, Dark Knight Returns, and really lays out the area for those things. I think he, he also said, you know, Killing Joke is a good example in the third point as as a book that was was written to be... Um, I guess was written to be the story and it doesn't necessarily, I would have been happier if he had said like, I don't care if it becomes continuity or not, you know, but I do think that his, his argument is expressly saying that it's, he's not saying I don't care about continuity. He's not saying this is not set in continuity. I feel he's going to great lengths in this newsletter to say it can be continuity. This can be continuity. Like, and like I said, I don't, I don't get the impression, uh, unlike the stuff that, and who knows, this could just be him um, acting from a realm of self-preservation in the sense of he may feel that if he, all he's doing is writing books that are quote unquote outside continuity, they, you know, quote unquote don't matter in sort of the Axel Alonzo Ian sense of of things. But um so maybe it's more of a he's trying to preserve some sort of relevancy for his books while trying to 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 explain that they're not in continuity. But to me, it is really funny that I read it much more as in a, oh, no, he's he's really making the case for um, why you can't say that they're not in continuity. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm just like, okay, but to me, I think he's fairly clear in saying, like, it's not continuity unless someone changes their mind later. Right. Well, okay. All right, uh, I right. Guess like I, 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 you know, short of him saying like "fuck you," this will never become continuity. Which I don't think anyone who's really paid attention to DC continuity ever could ever really say. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. I think he's fairly clear, but but you don't. So I mean, <laughs> I think he's fairly clear too. I just think I think that the. The, the motives that we are ascribing are somewhat different. So, so I'm glad we talked about it. I think, I think chances are good. We're going to wrap this up as our shortest fight about Tom King ever, which makes it a, a new and important record. Um, so yes, unless, unless you, um, <laughs> unless you ha- want to say more things in that agree to disagree tone. Um, I think we can move on to other things. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, I thought that was kind of DCUI. I sort of felt like because you and I had talked about that human target thing, which again, 
seem to seem to kind of I thought made a bit of a splash. Uh, yeah, like I maybe did. I just didn't see any of that splash. Right, and because and... when you brought up last week, I was just like, really. Yeah, right. You really were. You're like, no, I didn't like, see that. And I'm really? like, what's the thing? People are upset about that. We'll see. I, I mean, then... should we just say what it is? Uh, I mean, because the comic itself is like three weeks old now. Sure, and as you point out, it's not in continuity. So sure, let's let's. Uh, and the sixth issue of, of Human Target kills off a member of the JLI. Like that's all that really needs to be said. Right. They kill off Green Garden. They kill off Guy Gardner. Green I was Gardner. not going to say they who kill off Guy Gardner, <laughs> and then they and Ice freezes him, and then and then the human uh, target punches him, and there's a comment of the the one, one punch. punch. So there's yeah. an actual shout out to to the JLI, like the most beloved Guy Gardner moment in history, as like human target like shatters him, and then he and Ice make sweet sweet love. As the body of Guy Gardner dissolves Mouse. around them, yeah, yeah, that's, dude, come on, context. If we're gonna spoil, we're gonna spoil. I was actually trying not to utterly spoil it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, dude, because you're, you're like, like, give it all the way, and you're like, no, and let me tell you, on page twenty two, absolutely, this battle I... happens. <laughs> I don't want someone listening to this tomorrow being like, so they killed Nort? Who cares? I don't care. Oh, no, that's Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you did say Green. Wait, Green La- Nort's a Green Lantern. No, I agree. The, uh, in Green Lantern Future State, they killed off Nort. Like Nort's a year dead? Ago. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was like in the alternate future thing. Yeah, no, that's the, like, no one fucking paid attention to poor Nort's death. Was he in <laughs> continuity? Was it... It's, Ah, uh, what? Do you when have, like, this? actually want me to answer this question or not? Yes! Um, in Future State, which is, like, the con- which was purposely continuity neutral, right? <laughs> Remember Future State last year? Yeah, yeah, right. Where it was like, is it the future? Is it not? Ooh. Right. Um, Green Lantern story kills off Nart, right? And then one of the things I found kind of great about the DC books over the last year is they've all basically dealt with their future state stories in different ways. Mm-hmm. So for example, the Teen Titans future state story is revealed to have been uh, something that Raven foresaw mm-hmm. and that they are basically working to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, the Superman one seems to be coming true. The Batman one kind of came true. Right. Uh, to a degree, with the the uh, fear state storyline, mm-hmm. um, uh, like I said, Superman one kind of comes true. Uh, the Suicide Squad one might still come true, depending mm-hmm. where it is. Uh, when Justice League seventy five comes out, and then Dark Crisis comes out, it very much looks like they're leading into the Justice League one. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, for uh, this is all in promo. This, you know, this isn't spoiling anything. But Justice League seventy five is is kills off the Justice League, like today's Justice League, mm-hmm. and Dark Crisis is being promoted as basically like, and then a new team forums that just so happens to be the Justice League of Future State. Mm. Um, and also both of them were written by Josh Williamson, so there's probably some like intentional connection there, right? Uh, but the Green Lantern one is to spoil, I guess, what's been going on in Green Lantern for the last year, the the idea of Infinite Frontier and the idea of the end of Death Metal was everything in DC is now in continuity again. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. like Opener Sword, which involves Green Lantern Mosaic, which no one has fucking mentioned for 30 years. Mm. And as part of Green Lantern Mosaic, it ended with John Stewart becoming a guardian. Mm-hmm. And so sort of the fallout of that is what the current year of Green Lantern's about. Hmm. Like, is John Stewart a guardian or is he mm-hmm. something else? And as part of the is he something else storyline, he sees possible futures of which future state is one of them. Mm. And he gets to choose which one happens. He gets hmm. to actually decide which one happens. So you're saying John Stewart decides whether Nort lives or dies? Yes. I am so glad I pressed you for an answer because that is somehow delightful in its sublime absurdity. Thank you. I I genuinely love the way that DC has gone. Yeah, you thought that Future State was just like a month of filler and it was genuinely like, you know, two issues of previews of what we're doing in the books for the next year. Yeah, it's like, it I is kind of that's kind of great that they mm-hmm. legitimately were like, no, we really are telling you what we're doing with the next year for the books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, something I wrote in uh, I wrote a newsletter this week about the Marvel line and about how the Marvel line feels very generic to me right now and feels very much like the, everyone's writing with one singular voice, right? Or really two voices because there's the X Men line which is slightly different. Um, but that actually came out of a thought process of realizing that. DC has stealth miniseries a bunch of books. Uh, mm-hmm. Green Lantern ends with issue 12. Suicide Squad and Teen Titans end with issue 15. Hmm. Like, they're just done. Hmm. Um, and it seems to be intentional. By which I mean, like, it's not like the books are cancelled. Hmm. You know, spoilers and spoilers, Green Lantern ends with more or less, like, James Bond will return in mm-hmm. at the end of it. Um, and I would be very surprised if Suicide Squad doesn't. Maybe Teen Titans? I'm not sure, because Teen Titans feels like there's a lot fewer loose ends. Mm-hmm. And I suspect Teen Titans Academy might be relaunched as like a Teen Titans book. Uh, but Suicide Squad is in a really fucking weird place right now. Hmm. It's Suicide Squad leads into this crossover that's happening now called The War for Earth 3. And I, oh, I should really check when the last issue of that is out. Because I, I don't want to spoil too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I feel like the that's several issues in already, isn't it? I it might actually. Like... Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to see is is it over? It is over. Okay, so I can't. So I can say this: the War for Earth Three ends with basically Amanda Waller winning, mm-hmm. and arguably the entire Suicide Con- Squad concept metastasizing hmm uh again are you ever gonna read these comics or should i just spoil it i mean i would say chances are slim so you should just spoil it the end of the war for earth 3 is that amanda waller has built her own suicide squad slash justice league out of people from different earths but there's a superman there's a wonder woman there's a flash the green lantern yada yada mm-hmm Honor 3, which she then takes out of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. She basically hides Earth 3 somewhere. Hmm. The end. And there's like two more issues of Suicide Squad after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is literally wrapping up the Suicide Squad part of it. 
Mm-hmm. With, with Waller just gone. With Waller just taking out that book altogether. Huh. But that is, again, not the sort of thing that you do without a plan, I feel. Yeah, you would think, right? That's pretty, pretty major change-up. And either this is another Dark Crisis lead-in that they're, they're kept very quiet. Mm-hmm. Or they're planning a relaunch down the line about that book. About that mm-hmm. that, that setup, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this weird thing where I was like, DC is literally just like revolving in and out their their quote unquote like A list properties now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Aquaman's just been relaunched after a year not in print. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm wondering if that's just what they're going to do now. We've had a year Green Lantern, we'll take it away for six months, then we'll bring it back. We've had a year of Suicide Squad, then we're going to put it away for a bit, and then we'll bring it back. Right. Well, I mean, it's. It's not the worst idea. I mean, exactly, exactly. I mean, especially if you, you know, be as a um, improvement on sort of the Marvel, like rebooting and starting over with a number one, you know, for no other reason, you know. But this idea of like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna tie up an arc and have it and end it in a way that will create you know kick up some dust or something make yeah make I'd, I'd leave space for something in the future yeah it's not it's it's not terrible you know yeah it's, right mm-hmm. it's this weird thing where i'm like i think i like it <laughs> it's very strange i'm supposed to you know spider-man you know having a 19 part storyline that ends with the resumption of the status quo <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately relaunching with issue one like mm-hmm. Danette's mom's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, or X-Men Legends, which is an anthology comic, relaunching for literally no reason. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Other than just trying to get... Other than trying to Another get the sales bump. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Um, yeah, so it's it's really... Like, I, if I had to compare the two, I'd be like, okay, so let's see more of, of DC's idea of, like, actually, you know, quietly putting concepts away for a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should mention, though, because out of all the various reading that I have done, the bulk of which, the fast, stunning bulk of which has been uh, manga, um, I did read after hearing a couple of people say good things about it and sort of paying attention enough to notice that the second issue had dropped. I read the first two issues of uh, Walter Mosley's The Thing miniseries. Um my apologies for not marking who did the art on it because it's Tom Riley. Thank you. Um, and that's that was that was little fun weirdness. Like, can't imagine. Have no idea how it fits in continuity. Can't imagine that it does um, because, of course, I'm not reading FF or anything. Um, and I think it's even set in the past, such that he and Alicia are not married but are dating. But it's it was kind of fun and enjoyable it's it was a lot like reading early steve gerber issues of marvel 2 and 1 except without the guest star like just yeah yeah weirdly I read the first issue and, and liked it I, I the second issue is on marvel unlimited now right yeah just just yeah, hit yeah. this week so i would say give that a give that a read i liked them both i really did so yeah that was an oddball little thing 
when we're talking about things that we've read like recently, I think I've talked to you about the Robin series, the current Robin series before. Yes, in fact, I think. Well, not again, not on air, but I think you were telling me that you really thought that I would dig it. And yeah, um, and and I, yeah. I like, I'm going to say that on air again because uh-huh. I do think it's this weird thing where like it's enough of a collision of like a manga influence and Batman mythology that you dig. Yeah. Yeah. That I think it it might be in a sweet spot for you where you're like, oh, okay, this, you know, almost shouldn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But I actually mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I I I will try and circle around and and pick it out. Uh, I, I don't want to say at least six issues of that are on DC Universe right now. Right, I would think so and hope so. I did. Uh, Listeners were recording this on, I guess, April 2nd. I haven't switched my calendar around. but um, And hopefully, unless something goes wrong, release it on April 3rd. Uh, March 31st is when Hoopla rolls around its... Um... And you, I didn't see you remind this amount. I completely like, missed my chance. Ah, that's a shame. I did, get, I did get to it a little later. I should do it earlier in the day so that people... That's my own fault people catch it but um i i do sort of like providing that little service for people on twitter um so i checked out uh infinite frontier the um oh the the the, 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 the trade yeah, yeah 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 and the superman war world rising we'll see which i don't think that i'll really get into but but since there was enough residual goodwill from Superman and the authority. I, I, I have a certain key of interest. Oh, and I assume you have been following Grant Morrison's notes about, uh, the green Lantern. Green Lantern. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which is specifically series two. I felt very seen by Morrison's latest installment. Um, in what uh, sense? Uh, in the sense that let's see here. Hold on. When you say installment, you mean the the Green Lantern annotations? The, yeah, the like Green the... Lantern annotations. Yeah, there's the part two, which of course, in true um, Morrison fashion, talks about uh, part of the reason why their year 2019 had been so hard was because one of their cats had gone yeah. missing. So, which was I'm very sweet. Like I really have to say, like I forget that Morrison, at the core of it, is still just kind of a big old eccentric softy. cat person. Yeah, yeah. softy. Yeah. Exactly. A big old oh, cat. Which, soft, while, while you're softy. saying that, and while you're looking for the bit you're, you're meaning to talk to, um, I amused myself this week, uh, today even, uh, by watching the... There's like two clips of Alan Moore's Maestro class on mm. YouTube. Really? Ooh. Yeah. And it's... He, he's entertaining as shit. Like, honestly, uh. it kind of convinced me to, to sign up for it. Just wow. because, like, he's so entertaining mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, you know, it's only six hours. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, almost how bad can it be? Right, right. Oh, well, that's great. I mean, honestly, let's talk about this off air, Graham. But it seems to me a very prudent choice of our Patreon um, funds, perhaps, to sign up for it and <laughs> watch it and discuss it. So, uh, okay, so. Morrison is talking about uh, a Flash 
co-star. Issue two with the deadline looming was in bits and what was meant to be issue three of the Green Lantern season two co-starring the Flash now drifted face down in a swimming pool of its own piss. That story had been taking forever to assemble, feeling increasingly like some wildly overproduced psychedelic record and in the black light of my despairing mood, ever more trivial. Um, And so who haunts the corridor of chills? Um, uh, It was all terrible. Like, you know, instead it felt hollow. Too flimsy and glib to express how I was feeling. It said nothing to me about my life. Nevertheless, it had to be submitted. In the world of periodical publications, there can be no room for illness or tragedy or anything else that might get in the way of the show going on and on. Um, In rare situations like these, my go-to strategy is to remind myself that the monthly issue I'm trying to finish will be published regardless. In the future, it's already on the stands. It's already being reviewed. And all I need to do is play my part in ensuring assuring that inevitability. Then I figure out how a last-minute save might go. Usually this leads to me doing something, anything that feels right, even if it seems ridiculous. It becomes a case of, what would I personally want to read if I paid for this thing? Um, I chose instead to push the whole thing in the direction of total absurdity to drop the pretense at serious dialogue as if anything in this feathered farrago of bird dudes and fucked up cities of tomorrow could ever hope to be taken seriously. And in this endeavor, this decision to let the language loose to run wild and free in an unedited flow state, my guide out of the labyrinth was provided by the comics work of novelist Steve Eilert. I was inspired by two of my all-time favorite comics, Eilat's Johnny Viable and his terse friends and The Caterer to write the story's dialogue with a similar heightened ludicrous urgency. Although I could never claim to approach the perfect poise and relentless originality of his wordplay, nor could I finish my story without providing a pseudo-super-science get-out clause for the elliptical dialogue, lines like, Clowns flirt with irrelevance irrelevance every day. I'll wrestle any fool to the sand who says otherwise. Are not, as some readers surmised, inspired by Silver Age comics with their clumsy hepcat jive talk, but owe their genesis to aping vintage eyelet. So that's the part where I felt seen. Because I spent a lot of time on this podcast saying how much I loved the dialogue in that issue and feeling like it really seemed like a, a super fabulous Mike Friedrich um, pistic. Um, so yeah, like I said, felt seen. Sorry, everyone. If that took too long to get to, uh, sadly, don't, don't forget, down the like, I genuinely think that Morrison listens to this podcast sometimes. So it might sometimes, literally, yeah, he might literally be referring to you. Sorry. They might literally be referring to you. It's, it's, it's not necessarily impossible. And that's why I wanted to point it out because like I said, maybe I really do directly feel seen in a, in a very strange way. So, uh, yes. What did I want to tell you? Oh, a- anyway. So, so yes, Morrison's little, um, Morrison can really spin a, an entertaining tale. I have to say, I really enjoy the annotations and especially sort of the, um, I don't know, definitely very much, um, a, 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 a super entertaining read and I, I wish that I sort of had the fiscal wherewithal to pony up for the full um, substack but it's A it's a lot B I still feel kind of guilty after paying the money for the manga splaining substack because you know substack I feel a little weird about it 
Um, Graham, <laughs> one thing I do want to say is yes? we were talking about Marvel. We were talking about DC. I realize this is probably the wrong time or perhaps the right time or earlier had been the wrong slash right time to mention. I realize that I am currently reading seven ongoing manga series, which I think is more than I've ever read at any other point. There've been times where I like binge read actual, you know, series that are done and collected, but you know, that's again, it's like reading everything in trade, you know, whereas I'm actually at the stage now of having seven titles that I am reading that are currently being published where it's like, oh, I'm caught up. Now I have to wait until this date for the next chapter. And it's kind of fun, kind of weird and kind of fun. Seven. That's, that's a, that's a lot for Jeff. I have to say. Are you, what's it like reading them like in periodic form and being, uh, impatient for the next chapter for a better way of putting it? Well, I think, you know, it, it it's interesting how much first off i feel like um because it's new for me it brings me back to that feeling of being a kid like back when i was a kid you'd read a comic and then and then it would be a month until it was out again and you're like oh shit how am i going to wait that long or oh i can't believe it or ah and you just reread the same issue over and over and over again as I got older, as I had more spending money, as the very nature of sort of collections and serializations changed, it's kind of like, oh, you read your current one and then you kind of forget about it. And literally, in my case, sometimes I utterly forget about it and have to reread it. Um, so uh, it may or may not make a lot of difference that my, of the seven titles, Four of them I more or less had to mainline until I got to this point. So I read mm -hmm. a huge backlog to get to that point. Um, and so therefore, it feel it does feel a little different. It's a little antsier, like, oh, when am I going to get my next fix? Well, and, but also, like, is this... <clears throat> I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this. Does it read differently from a storytelling perspective? Because when you're right. reading them in, like, 300-page chunks... Right. Like, you're, that's a very different reading experience than reading them in... I mean, what is the periodical length? Like, 20? Yeah, uh, uh, between, I would say, 16 and 20 pages. Sometimes on a super big one, they'll go up as high as 30. And sometimes if things are short or they're running a little low, it might be as short as 11. But I would say, on average, it's really close to what a what a typical comic is, which is between 18 and 20 pages. Okay. Um, and that is a good question. I what I find fascinating is is I think that for example something like a Yashiman which I'm reading on Shonen Jump and Manga Plus and is sort of like a poor man's chainsaw man uh which is say it's filled with wild over the top fights um in some cases that's actually been more satisfying Oh, really? On a month-to-month -month basis, yeah, I think because I think because there's a lot of shonen comics really play with page by page impact, I suppose, and then subplots and things kind of accrue over the course of 
of many episodes. And so I think it's easier to have like a comic that's like 16 pages of fights where the fighting is, you know, it's all that the, the creator's focusing on and has spent time trying to figure out ways to make it either visually interesting or stunning or have a twist. It kind of lands because in the moment to moment, kind of like you turn the page and say, gosh, kind of moment, it, it works. Whereas some of the longer, sorry, the longer, some of the more emotional based stuff, or some of what I'm reading is arguably comedy slash romance kind of things. Like the comedy usually pops up in issue to issue and provides a little, oh, that's funny. Or, oh, that's really kind of cute. But it's, it's not as big a pop. And also if you don't get enough of your, I would say characterization, but really it's just moments of emotional fan service. You kind of can end up feeling a little cheated. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, in many ways, ironically, I feel like it may end up mirroring what I ended up doing with American comics, which is, forget about it for four or five months, sit down and then read, you know, 80 pages, a hundred pages in a go and kind of have that feeling like basically read it half a trades worth or a trades worth at a time um, to, to get a fuller experience. Cause as it is, it does feel after, after having so much, ex- much greater experience, like you said, reading these things in 200, 300 page chunks, um, you're, you're very aware of the, the slow drip process. Um, mm-hmm. But the flip side is, it's also kind of nice to have something to look forward to. You know what I mean? Like, particularly for me as a, as a manga junkie, collected titles can be hard like if you're not unless you're reading like four or five series or you're reading you get hooked on something that has started coming out long ago um but there's stuff that i've been waiting on for like six months for the next volume and it's probably going to be another four months before it comes out and that's kind of brutal so it's sort of it's sort of interesting having two different approaches to manga. I feel like I'm starting, I I'm really have done some other extra stage in my manga reading after all these years where I'm doing really dumb shit that I had never done before. Like, it's like, fuck, I really want to catch, you know, read the next chapter. Like Chihara Furu, which is almost done is the series is going to be ending very soon. And, I read through all 108 chapters of that on Azuki. And by all, I mean all that Azuki has. There's like another 120 chapters that that could have been serialized online, but Kodansha is not put online. So it's like the long tail of like, oh, okay, now that you're 20 volumes into Chiarofuru, maybe you'll start buying the volumes. Exactly. And I'm like, now, now that you've actually invested a lot of time. A lot of time. Like, you're going to buy these volumes. And I'm like, I'm going to pull a Graham McMillan in interlibrary loan this shit. So we'll see what Yes. We'll see what yeah, I'm kind of excited by it. 
Um, but those are those are two big things that I don't think I would have actually ever done before. Oh, right. So at a certain point, I was like, shit, I want to read the next chapter of this. I've got to. I'm on BART. I don't have, like, I'll read it on my phone. Like, reading manga on my phone was not something that I would have ever willingly done to myself before. And admittedly, it does help that it's, I mean, it's a sports manga, but it's also heavy on the romance. It's it's basically, it's like, I'm not necessarily reading it for the visuals, you know what I mean? Plus, it's also highly circumscribed such that I know what's going on in a way, you know what I mean? So, but still, I'm like, who am I? Next thing you know, Graham, I'm going to be posting tic- on TikTok. So, nobody wants that. No, I was going to say, I, I really do. <laughs> you say that nobody wants that, and that's, that's very much what I want. Oh, man. Oh, Graham. Uh, anyway, so so how about you? As we As we start to creep toward um, the two-hour mark. Are there things you want to talk about having read that you're that you're into, that you're grooving, things that you... I mean, last time I was like, yeah, let's all bitch about a book. And you and Chloe were like, what? No, you go ahead. We don't bitch about books. <laughs> we're too busy to bitch about books. We're like, look, we only read things we like. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um... No, because I, again, like, this week has been mostly been reading things that I like. You know, I read this week that I really, really, really uh, enjoyed and came to in a, the weirdest roundabout sense. Um, Rock of the Reds. Rock of the Reds is an indie published, self-published, I think, titled by John Wagner and Dan Cornwall. Oh, wow. Uh, co-written by Alan Grant. What? Yeah. They came out, like, in the last, definitely in the last 10 years. Um, is it a sports comic? Rock yes, the Reds. Yes, it is. Okay. All right. It's I was about literally. To say. So I've talked before about my love for Doom Lord, the Wagner Grant written like alien invader slash defender comic from Eagle in the yes. 1980s. Right. And Rock the Reds is, I shit you not, Roy of the Rovers meets Doom Lord. <laughs> and oh my therefore, God. fucking amazing. That sounds, that setup sounds amazing. Is, the setup is this. There are uh, there's an alien race that is going around destroying planets. Uh, there is, for all intents and purposes, a conscientious objector from this alien race who who fucks off. Wow. Crash lands on Earth. Uh, has to assume someone else's identity while he recharges his spaceship slash his own powers, and so chooses like the top performer at a soccer club, Genius. who is a dick. <laughs> so he assumes his identity and his skill set. Mm-hmm. He keeps the natural guy hilariously shrunk down and on his body at all times. Oh my god! Um, but then grows to love football while pretending to be the soccer star. You're saying this was self-published? Because I mean, yeah. on the one hand, it sounds so insane. It's it, I can't imagine yes, any publisher yes, touching it. Yes, but... it's self-published. Um, wow! And I came to it because last weekend, 2008, that they're like their online convention, and as right. part of that, John Wagner did like an hour and a half interview with Mike Vulture. Yes, which I still haven't listened to, and I'm actually really. No, I, I, dying I'm to. only like halfway through, and it's really fucking good. But mm-hmm. really early on, he talks about basically he's twenty thousand grand in the hole for self-publishing this. Oh fuck! 
And he's like, yeah, but I'll make it back eventually. Like, I'm going to sell it at conventions and shit. Like, I, I will eventually make this money back. It's just that right now I'm not. And he even says, right. like, you know, I'd do a third installment. And Dan wants to do a third installment. But, I may, like, I'm so in the hole. He's basically right. like, I've eaten my retirement fund by self-publishing this. Oh, my God. And, and so I was like, I, I, like, I've got to fucking read this. And as it is, you can buy it digitally online. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I want to say the website is literally just rockoftherides.com. Hmm. Uh, and which I uh, it is it's rockoftherets.com r o k of the reds.com um i i highly hate... recommend people buy this do you mind just emailing me that link i know you just literally spelled it out but it'll save me just that much more time to that i can include it in the show notes it'd be great i've just sent it to you through skype hmm. um yeah it i it's it's great. It's so... It's fun. It has very much like the same energy of the Roy the Rover stuff that I was reading last year that I was, I was really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also... It is basically Doom Lord. Like, it, wow. you know, this, this alien comes to Earth and is like, oh, these humans, they're kind of weird. But you know what? I kind of like them. And then <laughs> their alien race shows up and is like, I'm going to fucking destroy Earth. <laughs> and they're like, well, shit. Okay, I guess I've got to do something then. Wow. I love that shit. I really yeah. do. Um, yeah, it's, and again, it sounds fabulous. Wagner and Grant are co-writing. Dan Coromel does art. Um, uh, colors are by Abby Bollmer, I think is the colorist. I can't remember. Um, mm-hmm. Jim Campbell, who does letters for some 2008 stuff, is, is letter. Um, it looks, for a better way of putting it, like it looks professional. It doesn't look like, you know, some slap together nonsense. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. it, is, it is a lot of fun. It is stupid in the very best ways. <laughs> and for people who like, uh, you know, Wagner stuff, and, you know, if you're listening to Druck and, and you've fallen into the same, you know, hole that Jeff and I have of like, you know, Wagner just has fun and is a very good comic writer. Mm-hmm. But also want to see them do something sillier. Um, this is great. Like, I genuinely loved it. I genuinely recommend it. Also, it's a rare chance to see them work in U.S. comic length. Wow. So oh, the, okay. the, there's two collections of six-issue series, and wow. each issue is like 20 pages. Wow. Okay. That's great to know. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's Rock of the Reds is the first one, and the second one is Rock the God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I do genuinely recommend both. It, it, that sounds it was, fabulous. It was so fun to read. It was, it was just, you know, I, I keep saying fun, but it, it was this joyful little discovery that I honestly forgot. I knew it existed and I'd never read it and forgot about it. And then mm-hmm. Wagner started. I was like, I sh- I've never read that. And it should. Like, I love Wagner. I should fix that. And right. it was well worth it. Oh, that's fabulous, Graham. Also, I would recommend listening to the... Um, the yeah, I'll put it. I'll put that in the show notes as well too, because that that would be, um, like I said, I, I'm overdue for that, and that'll be a nice little, um, you know, for those people, an aperitif uh, for our upcoming drock, I guess, right? Yeah, which is of course next week. Um, I read. I as part of that, I also I do this. I did this a couple of years ago. Uh, I basically put all of the dreads from last year in, into one PDF. Wow. And like mainline dread for twenty twenty one. 
Um, I, there's, it's, there's just some great comics there. There's just some great comics there. Hmm. Uh, it, it's it's odd and feels very distant from what we're reading in Drock in the strangest way. Uh, in part so? because Wagner, well, Wagner is barely there. Hmm. Wagner does maybe eight stories from the entire year. And by eight stories, I mean like eight installments. Wow. Okay. Because um, Wagner is, as as they say in the interview, like he says, like I'm never going to retire, but also I'm writing far less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have like you have people stepping in, like Rob Williams is there, Michael Carroll's there, Ken Neiman's is there, like a bunch of people have basically gone in to fill the gap. Rory McCor- uh, I think Rory Cronell, I can't remember his last name. Um, but a, a bunch of writers have basically like risen up to be like the current generation of drag writers. And they're all, I would say as good as, if not better than any other drag writer we've got in drug so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also dread as a strip has evolved. So it feels much easier for other people to sort of cycle in and out. Right. It feels like they've finally gotten the idea of like dread as a multi-writer series. Mm-hmm. That you know, they kind of were trying in the nineties and never quite got their head around. Right. It feels like they've managed to do that without sacrificing any of the quality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. dread as a strip is still very much like you'll have serious stories, you'll have dramatic stories, you'll have multiple stories, but you'll also have like dumb stories. Uh there's a recurring supporting character uh who's come about in the last few years called Noam Chimpsky, who is a chimp. <laughs> Right. He is basically a hyper-intelligent vigilante chimpanzee mm-hmm. who solves crime. <laughs> right? And he, right. he like comes around and solves crime, and it's like, is that rare thing in Mega City 1? An actual good guy. Mm-hmm. But he's an actual good guy that Dredd never catches, because Dredd just can't understand the concept of maybe there's a hyper-intelligent chimpanzee who's solving crime. Wow, right? And and like and the strip points that out even, mm-hmm. <laughs> like because Noam Chomsky is the narrator of his stories, and like he will literally say things like, "Yeah, Dread's never going to catch me because why would Dread ever think that a chimpanzee would be doing this?" That just makes <laughs> sense. Uh, but also, there's a point where because when Chimsky's narrating, like it's all from his point of view, Dread speaks to him, and it actually has a little asterisk after his dialogue, and it says translated from the original fascist. Oh, funny. Right? And so you just have, like, these these weird gags in there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Which are just, again, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as you have, like, you know, uh, you know, Wagner does come back, and Wagner's like, you know, here's my fun story, but also here's my thriller that I'm doing for the year. Mm. Uh, but you also get... Um, they've started leaning, I think, in a lot more to the idea of the Justice Department as a working organism. So, mm-hmm. uh, Rob Williams and Arthur Wyatt have this running theme of, it's got to be really expensive to be the Justice Department. How do they pay for it? Mm-hmm. And so they have an accountant character who actually Al Ewing created like a, a decade ago or so now. Mm-hmm. Who's basically like, it's cheaper if we just educate people. <laughs> it's cheaper. So why don't we do this? Mm. Like, why don't we just change what we're doing? Because that way we can afford it. Because we can't afford what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. 
But that very concept makes our target both within the judge, within the Justice Department, and outside. Because mm. everyone's like, "Well, she's trying. She's trying to change things. She's got to mm. die." <laughs> wow. Huh. Right. And she, and but that's like that's not even like one story and done. That's a recurring plot now. That she'll come around and she'll have a story, or she'll, like she'll make an appearance and she'll have a conversation with Dread. And Dread's like, "You might be right. I don't want to say you're right, but you might be mm-hmm. right." Hmm. Like, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm not going to sign on just yet. Because she keeps coming back to Dread. Because she's had, at this point, multiple appearances, multiple stories with Dread. Right. And she keeps coming back to Dread and being like, if I can get you to sign on, then people are going to sign on. Right. If I can convince you that I'm right, then other people are going to agree with me because you're Judge Dredd. Like, you're the guy who fought the Apocalypse War. You're the guy who dealt with Chaos Day. You're the guy, you know, just lists all the things. If I can convince you, then everyone else is going to have to go along with it. And he's like, I respect you. I don't think you're wrong, but I'm also not willing to say you're right yet. Mm. Hmm. But that, you know, that as a thread keeps coming back up. Right, right. And like, so they're, they're, they're doing interesting, really long form games. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week or maybe the week before, I was rereading all the, the big Rob Williams stories from the last decade. Um, and I realized that, again, that's a really big long game that he's playing. To the point mm-hmm. where there's the two, because the way they're collected, you know, like they put the plot threads together. So Titan leads into Enceladus, leads into Enceladus New Life, right? And they're three mm-hmm. different stories mm-hmm. that were spread out across like three years of, of 2080. But in the collection, they're one collection, so you can read it and get the whole through line, mm-hmm. right? There's also the Control Collection, which again is one storyline, but the storyline was told across like four years of 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. And I realized that they cross over. Oh, really? The wow. The character literally, one character basically disappears from the Titan Collection. And it's because he gets fired in the Control Collection midway through. <laughs> That's really funny. And I was like, oh shit, of course, because they did cross over. <laughs> right, like the, right. The, the, both these stories were theoretically running at the same time. It's just they're right. collected differently. Right, right. Which is really funny. And sort of, yeah, right. That's uh, that's some you, classic when, old, when, when you old read school continuity shenanigans. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, but when you read them collected for them, you read them mm-hmm. as like, it's one story. Right. Right? And then you're like, oh, but it's not one story. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, exactly. It's four or five stories told across a number of years and those stories literally intersect with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it is like that there's, there's dread is recognizable. Mega city one is to an extent recognizable, even though between where we are in like 2001 and like 2022 or mm-hmm. 2021, which is where the stories came from. There's the day of chaos storyline, which literally like destroys like 80% of mega city one. Wow. Uh, and like genuinely decimates it and politically drastically changes where Mega City 1 is in the, in the world of Dread. Mm-hmm. Because to go from being like the dominant cultural and and, and political force mm-hmm. to very much not being that. Wow. <laughs> like being unable to function without other cities sending them judges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which in itself creates like a very different culture. So right. all of a sudden you get these other stories where like British judges, Russian judges, you know, other 
judges from other American cities are in Mega City One now because they have to be because it's the only way Mega City One operates. But it wow. also brings people inside the Justice Department who are like, "But why are you doing it this way?" Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get it, and I'm not trying to bring systems down. I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Which is itself a different dynamic for Dread. Yeah, very much so. You know? And also, you know, between where where we are in Drock and and now, we've seen the introduction of Rico. Mm-hmm. Dread has a family by 2021. Wow. Like multiple members of a family because other clones are introduced. Wow. Uh, and hmm. none of them, with the exception of Rico, say traditional judges. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, and I don't, sadly, I don't think we're going to get there with Drock. Like, I think mm-hmm. all of that happens after the, where the case files happen. Right. But, you know, there there are things that happen with the other judges, with the other clones. Where they're like, yeah, this this isn't working out for me. Wow. Uh, which you know, in itself is a story, and in itself is, is casting new light on what Dread is doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so also, that's very so interesting. All these, but again, this is across, across twenty years of comics, right? Right. Right. Twenty yeah. years of weekly comics. So you know, you're talking thousands of pages. Yeah. Like yeah. if it's running six pages a week, mm-hmm. so that's uh, 300 pages a year right. times 20. <laughs> yeah, that's right? a lot of material. Um, but but there have been just as, you know, where we are in 2021 is very different from like 81. Uh, where we are in 20, 2001, rather, in drug is very different mm-hmm. from 81. Like, right. the strip continues to evolve, and it's fun seeing that. And it's also yeah. really interesting to see that I think the strip does lose its way in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I think even when Wagner comes back, it's still relatively lost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting read in terms of the level of quality, which is something that I think has made Drock difficult for us. Yeah, you know, in the last few episodes, um, but it's still lost. Mm-hmm. It's still not quite sure what it's doing, and Dread now very much knows what it's doing, and very much has found. Uh, its voice as a strip separate from Wagner's voice mm-hmm. uh, in a way that makes it much easier for other writers to handle and other writers mm-hmm. to find their space within. Mm-hmm. Like, by the time, and I think this really comes about from like Rennie doing it and Robbie Morrison doing it, but other writers all realize oh, I can build my own supporting cast mm-hmm. and then I can tell stories with my own supporting cast. Right. And that's fine. Right. Which is how right. you know Williams manages to do like two massive stories across like a four or five year span, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he's going okay. Well, my characters are, you know, Rothman. I'm dealing with like Maitland. I'm dealing with Smiley. I'm dealing, you know, I have my cast. I have my characters. Mike right. Carroll's like, yeah, sure, but I've got my characters. Mm-hmm. And then Ken Neiman's like, yeah, but I've got my characters, and so the world becomes bigger. Yeah, which is just, great. Just by that, just by that mm-hmm. aspect, that like all of a sudden you have so many more characters recurring. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. all these writers can tell their own stories without stepping on each other's toes because the right. only character that appears in all of them is Dread. Right. And Dread, as a as a fictional construct, changes so slowly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. That you can't. 
can't do the like, and this week Dredd renounces the law. Never going to happen. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. Dredd is the Silver Age Superman. Everything happens to everyone around him. And then it feels like at some point they realize that, and they're like, okay, so we'll all build our own casts. Right. And we'll right. all tell stories about the other people. Yeah, which is and smart. How people respond. Yeah. Um, we've talked about it before, but, you know, we're going to run out of, of case files. This year, mm-hmm. like, we're going to run out of case files in about six months. Yes. Um, but you suggested in the past, like, you want to read some, like, standalone collections. Yeah, I thought start- that might be a good idea, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love for you to read some of the Rob Williams stuff. Not mm-hmm. only because I think it's some of the best recent Dread, but because Williams has this weird thing where he basically writes makeovers of previous stories. Mm. Uh, Titan is uh, the Inferno story, but done well. You know, it's the, it's the, the Titan breakout story. Right, right. Um, yeah. But he makes it work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He did a crossover, or not crossover, a, 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 a mega event, an, an epic. Um, I think, God, I think it was 2020. You know, as you said before, years sort of blur a bit. I guess it was, yeah, I think it was 2020. Called End of Days. Mm-hmm. Which is conscious effort to write another Cursor slash Judge Child type story. Oh right, yeah. I, I think I feel like yeah. I feel like that was recent because I feel like you because it's also a bit of a crossover, right? Doesn't one of his characters? Yeah, because uh, a Western bring, character in, comes over. Yes, he brings mm-hmm. in Ichabod's Atrail, I think the character's name is. Um, right. So it's twenty twenty, and it was released. The collection was released last year. Mm. Um, but he he basically is purposely trying to write in the tone of like a 1980s Wagner mega epic. Mm. Right. And honestly, with a structure that is very much judge child mm-hmm. in that, like, mm-hmm. you know, we have an ultimate goal, but in order to complete this ultimate goal, we have side quests. Mm. Yeah. Which is great. I'm always right? a sucker for that. And so you yeah. see Williams like really aware of the strips history and being like, okay, but I'm going to, basically pull that out and retool it and put it back in. Right. Which I think would would really fit in with like, you know, a lot of what we've been doing with Drock in terms of the analysis and the recurring themes. Yes, absolutely. And actually you know, it's really I'm, funny because I think on our last read through, didn't didn't Williams do um the story that I liked the most that was pretty much just kind of a retooling of the classic Oh no sort no no because no, Williams doesn't show up in Dread for ages. Oh, okay. uh, it Who was, that was uh, Robbie Morrison. Robbie Morrison, thank you. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, but yeah, Williams doesn't show up in Dread for uh, like another ten years after where we are. I think. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Sorry, um, the maybe, Rob part maybe, threw me off. I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, there's there's in reading so much of this like quote unquote recent Dread. I'm like, oh, there's there's so much stuff to touch on what we've talked about in Drog. Right. Just means, oh, I can't wait for Jeff to read this. Right. It's <laughs> like, do you have to read it? We haven't talked about it yet. Connect the dots. Yeah. 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 That, um, that sounds really again, tempting. Like, you know, it's, 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 it makes Dread all the more rich uh, as, a, as a strip, but also it makes something like Drog all the more enjoyable for me. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because you, sort of uh, almost identify trends or recurring themes 
because people are calling them out 20 years later and then you go back and read the strips and you're like oh yeah there it is right this is where it is right you're right that's that that is a theme that is something that that wagner keeps doing Mm. Mm. that's very fun yeah, who knows? Uh, so yeah, I don't so know. yeah, I'm reading a lot of dreads. It's your first mm-hmm. and and Rock of the Reds, which again, for people who want uh, silly Wagner, um, but also like again for people who watch Ted Lasso and was like, wouldn't it be great if Ted Lasso is actually an alien? That's so Rock funny because that's one. actually what I thought of would be when you were describing it. I'm like, oh man, like you know, essentially, what if Doom Lord takes over Jamie Tart? essentially yeah right that's that's basically what it is mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. basically what it is and therefore as you can tell <laughs> wonderful right <laughs> yeah that's great well like i said i will make it a point to put a link in with the show notes i'd be very happy if many people ducked over to that site and bought them just the fact that you're you said they're available digitally i'm like i'm gonna go pick them up so <clears throat> however well, let's since... let's bring John Wagner slightly, slightly out of debt. Yes, yes, indeed, absolutely. Boy, wow, I, I'm impressed with that guy. I really am. Um, the fact that he's like, yeah, I'd be fine. I'm like, dude, you're you're not young. <laughs> no, he's like 75 or something. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah, that's that's maybe older. That... I'm going to look up how old John Wagner is now. <clears throat> John Wagner is 73. Sorry, he's not even 75. Wow, 73. See, he's not even 75. He's a spring chicken. I take back everything. He's just a youngster. It's that impressionable tyke doing those impressionable tyke things like self publishing several volumes of a a trade on his own. Amazing. Graham, um, I thought you were going to say, let's close the sucker down, which we should, because... Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, we're... let's close the sucker down, everyone. Uh, yeah. I talked about Drock. We're doing Drock next week, and we're doing Case Files. Shit, 33? I've literally yeah. forgotten. 34? Uh, no, 34, yeah. Yeah, we're doing Case Files 34. I I should know that, because it's literally on the iPad right in front of me. It is Case mm-hmm. Files 34, which it says I've read only 2% of, and that's not fucking true. I've read a chunk of it. Oh, have you? I have yet to Yeah, I basically in, so. finished it. Oh, it starts God. with Helter Skelter, Jeff. It starts with um, Garth Ennis' Return to Dread, which uh, is definitely... Oh, joy. Most, it's definitely the most fanboyish thing he's ever written. Oh, exciting. And it is drawn I mean, by his girl, so if nothing else, you like the art. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, you mean the most fanboyish thing that he's written before Hawk the Slayer. Uh which uh, <laughs> yes Hawks Slayer available now from Rebellion everyone yeah yeah exactly so but in the meantime yes join us next week for Drock Graham why don't you tell them where to find us and then I'll tell them about the Patreon this... and then yes Jeff Jeff's just trying to control what I'm doing what nuts. He wants me to tell you that you can hear show you find show notes for this episode at waitwhatpodcast.com and that we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast and that he has a Twitter account at lazybassad at L-A-Z-Y-B-S-T-I-D and that I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M and then he wants me to tell him that he should talk about the Patreon but I'm not going to. That's right, you're not but unfortunately neither are you going to hype your own newsletter which you should yeah, I, and that I, I people should do. go yeah, go uh, sign up uh, at getreview.co. Uh, get yes, yeah. it reviews R-E-V-U-E. 
forward slash profile forward slash comics FYI. That's me. <laughs> I, go. You did. I, I, I need to get, uh, I need to set up a forwarding thing. So there's an easier way to get people there. Man, I gotta tell you, there's times where, uh, my Safari browser, cause I've gone to it a few times and it just gets really confused. It's just like, yeah. do you mean to go to this? I'm like, yes. It's like, sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, I yeah, was no, just I know. there. I, 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 yeah. I need to genuinely just set up like, because I own comicsfyi.com. No, I don't. Or do I? No, I own I own another URL that's very close to that that I will properly set up. Ah, you should. Yeah. But someone said comicsfyi.com is available for cheap, so maybe I'll buy that as well. Do totally do that. It'd make it a lot easier, I think. Because the whole idea, you don't want to create confusion on your brand by telling people like, yes, just go to Comics FYI so that you can subscribe to Comics FYI <laughs> and then Comics YIF will come to you every week in your inbox. Um, listeners, I got to tell you, I'm I'm a little, the gas in the tank is uh, running mighty low, but I, I want to say that I'm hugely as always incredibly grateful to all of our listeners for supporting us listening to us all these years we're probably i don't even know every time when i'm like graham do you realize we've been doing this podcast for five years now you know that sort of thing that's not quite right but in theory at some point we might have a decade anniversary going on if we didn't miss it already right we've we've been doing it for, we've had a decade anniversary did we miss the? Did I miss the decade no, we, anniversary? We, we, we've done it. Did we celebrate it? Was was yes. that what the? I thought I thought Inglehart was like for the three hundredth episode. Was it for the ten year anniversary? Was I it think both? it was for the ten year anniversary. I, I, we've definitely done a decade long. We've done, no. we've, passed, we've passed ten years by this point. Okay. Well, anyway, put it this way, Jeff. We launched the Patreon like right. four or five years in, mm-hmm. and like that was. Like in 2014. Wow, 2014. You're right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've been doing this since oh, God. Like 2009. We're going to come up on the decade of doing it on the... Yeah, right. I I'm here. Yeah. This. Good grief. Anyway, listeners, thanks to thanks for listening to me slowly <laughs> slide into dementia over the course of the decade. Everyone who was really betting on Graham to hit first, despite being younger, I can't blame you because his short-term memory is impressively poor. But oh, my long-term memory is terrible too. I was going to say that maybe your long-term memory is like I don't know. In any event, I think I still think we're neck and neck. Is what I'm saying. We're neck and neck towards either of us hitting the hitting the complete dementia stage um, first. Who knows? Place your bets. Thank you for listening to us for apparently longer than the, the three years that I thought that we'd been podcasting for. <laughs> also, the people over the last 18 months who supported us on Patreon, I hugely, hugely appreciate the fact that you not only throw throw us your listening hours, but a little bit of your hard-earned dosh. It is hugely appreciated greatly inspirational um i want to give a super shout out to empress audrey queen of the galaxy for her continuing support of this podcast it is wonderful and she apparently has been doing things about our galactic realm and things i don't know there's all this stuff going on with pluto and maybe water based volcanoes i don't know 
Audrey, please, I know you're very busy, but if you could at least text me and let me know what's going on with that. I've been losing a lot of sleep over it recently. Thank you. Graham? I I have I have nothing. No, wait, I do have something to say. I was going to say I have nothing to follow that, and I do. Um, in the comments <laughs> last week, what, uh, there was something that blew my mind uh, mm-hmm. where it was pointed out that after we talked about Showgirls for so long, we didn't mention that uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, a.k.a. Nomi Malone's husband, had painted Hellblazer covers. And I thought that wasn't real. I thought that was a joke until I looked into it. And it's true, Jeff. Really? Wait. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth Berkeley's husband is a guy called Greg Lauren, I think, who uh-huh. painted Hellblazer covers for like two years. Holy shit. Wow. Okay. There's an amazing comics connection. And hats off to the commentator. How did I miss that comment? That's kind of annoying of me. Huh. That's I, weird. I think we should just really very much appreciate that because I think it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it enough that I'm trying to jump in and find out who said that so that I can give them a shout out on the air. Um, which means I better talk this out or nah, 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 because there's a lot of really uh, lovely stuff in it's, here. It's Ian, but I'm not sure if that's Ian Brill or just another Ian. Ian, whoever oh, yeah. you are. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of, in- it definitely sounds like a Brill comment. That is. It, oh, it very much sounds like Ian Brill, but I don't want to, no offense Brill, but I don't want to credit him if it's a different Ian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, so now that we have perhaps, like, given tribute to one of our listeners by giving offense to one of our listeners, Graham, do you, do you want to sing us out? Sorry! <laughs>